This episode of the ADZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Goodfield Coffee. Goodfield Coffee is the only place that you can get your hands on fantastic specialty coffee and support some great causes at the same time. Goodfield Coffee aim to raise awareness of the importance of having a good feel, checking yourself for testicular cancer and breast cancer, whilst also checking in on your friends and family's mental health by asking, how have you been? All of the Goodfield coffees are single origin from the very best coffee producing regions in the world and your purchases will help raise funds for Mind, the Oddballs Foundation and Copperfield. Order online at goodfieldcoffee.com or check them out over on your usual social media channels at Goodfield Coffee. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 33 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week, it's Gavin Baxter and his trusty notepad. And Graeme Steele, how's it going, guys? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. You're about to do your intro, and I'm just going to say that the one thing you've not, you're have not you not going to mention, but it's as rare as anything, is we went for a pint after the game yesterday, and Graeme Steele, that's right, Graeme Steele, suggested Craftsman. No. So... It's changed. Scenes, absolute scenes. A couple of caveats to that being that Fierce was full and Malone's was rammed and we were heading that direction. There's no danger of getting a pint of tennis in there, was there, mate? No, I'm cultured these days. <laughs> Joining us in person for the first time. I say in person, virtually. You know what I mean. But making it a hat trick of appearances on the show, it's David McGregor. David, welcome to the show. How's it going? I'd, uh, thanks for having me on. How's yourselves? Hey, top of the world, mate. Top of the world. A, a Jim Goodwin draw percentage of 200% or 100%, sorry, <laughs> as we're running at the moment. <laughs> Get a load of the maths there. <laughs> what more do you want? What more do you want? Uh, in a week that saw Mark McGee's home debut for Dundee end in ignominy, but rest assured, D fans, it's only three points. That saw Gordon Strachan make a chip shop joke at the expense of Willie Miller. And the whole of Aberdeen Football Club covering itself in glory with the exquisite execution of the Fergie homecoming weekend. It's another busy episode of the ABZ FP as we look back at the return of the GOAT. The 1-1 draw with Dundee United that saw Jim Goodwin maintain his 100% draw record at the helm. The women's team and their thumping 5-1 victory over Motherwell in SWPL1. We'll take our regular look at the young team and our loanies and loan watch before we turn our attention to this week's doubleheader of trips on the road as we visit Tynecastle and Mordor in quick succession. And after the break, it's part two of our two-part interview with the one and only Mark Reynolds. But first, let's have a look at the Fergie statue unveiling. Friday lunchtime saw the official unveiling of the statue of the great man in front of a healthy number of supporters in the lower Dick Donald. Thoroughly professional uh, ceremony, struck the right tone, I think, between sentimentality and history and everything that goes along with it. Great input from the likes of Willie Miller, Simi, Gordon Strachan before the actual unveiling. And fair play to everybody at the club who made it happen in particular in appointing the right guy in the form of Andy Edwards to produce the statue. There was that horrible moment when the red velvet 
curtain was away to come off and you're like, is this going to be Alec Baldwin or Alec Ferguson? And fair fucks, it's a pretty good representation of the guy and it already looks like it's been there forever out the back of the RDS. Uh, a great job all around on Friday. Anything that you guys would like to, to add to that? I think, uh, well, I just think it was an excellent, excellent piece of work from everyone involved. We've been critical of the club maybe recently with some of the decision-making and some of the things they've done, but uh, they got that absolutely spot on, I think. So a really fitting tribute. And I agree, the statue looks really, really good. So I think it really enhances sort of Pataudry and it's a, it's a fine tribute to a fine man. Yeah, I think I questioned the timing of it with it being a Friday afternoon rather than perhaps being on the the Saturday or a weekend, maybe more people could be involved. But reality is I'm actually just jealous. I didn't have the foresight to book the time off work because it looked like a really quite special event. Um, yeah, credit to everyone involved. And I think from now we should maybe start thinking about who do we get out there to join him? Get some statue ideas out there maybe for later on in the day. I think this is a future ABZFP segment, I think. Which Don's player do you want to see immortalised and in which pose would it be? I think there's some absolute perlers to come from that. David, did you get a chance to check the statue when you came up the road? Yeah, no, um, I was just, you know, as you say, it was just a statue is a very easy thing to get horribly wrong. And I was just really relieved that it looked like. So, no, it's a a nice tribute. It was such a horrible moment, honestly, when it came down. And you're like, all those memories, you know, the Cristiano, the Ronaldo one and all these ones. Remember that one that Southampton had where the guy looked like he was like half height. I don't know what they've done with it. They've just got the proportions (laughs) all wrong. (laughs) To be fair, even the one of Alex first at Old Trafford is horrible. So it's not great, is it? So yeah, fair play to everyone involved in that one. And then on to yesterday, the game itself, Aberdeen won, United won the 26th of Feb 2022 at Pataudry, the SPFL Premiership. Sold out Pataudry Stadium, welcoming back Sir Alex Ferguson for the final leg of his return to the city, presented with the maquette of his new statue before the game, which also marked Jim Goodwin's home debut as Aberdeen Gaffer. And uh, the Irishman was obviously forced into a number of changes from last week. Calvin Ramsey, Ross McCrory and Johnny Hayes all missing out altogether, replacing the starting 11 by Funzo King, Ojo, Matty Kennedy and Conor McLennan. As the Dons lined up in, I thought it was a 4-3-3 formation. First half, I thought that's what it looked like to me. Uh, the likes of Jet, Scott Brown, Jack McKenzie also all missing out of the squad completely leaving us with a five-man bench featuring the likes of Michael Ruth and Jack Mill. It was United, though, who made the ideal start. Three or four pulls of the shirt by Bates on Harks, which then saw the American tumble to the ground and the referee had no hesitation pointing to the spot. Mark Nolte sending Joe Lewis the wrong way to give the visitors the lead after just four minutes. Pretty much a standard Aberdeen start on an occasion like that, I thought. Um, I thought for a minute we were just going to absolutely shit the bed as per usual in these scenarios. But fair play. Worked our way back in the game. And we were level just 12 minutes later. King Ojo with a nice ball to Pajauin. There we go, David. And uh, his shot was spilled by Seagrist. Kennedy following in at the back post, and he was able to nudge the ball goalwards from a tight angle, which Edwards only succeeded in putting into his own net as he tried to clear off the line. Aberdeen should have been a goal to the good a minute later. A fine cutback from King Ojo finding an unmarked Ramirez. 10 yards from goal, but his finish was high and, well, not very handsome into the red shed. Long-range effort from Graham was routinely stopped by Lewis on 28 minutes before Bajowin missed a chance even better than Ramirez is just eight minutes later. Kennedy with a fine run on the left-hand side, firing in a low cross that the on-rushing Dutchman met, but could only blaze his finish over the bar as well. Conor Clennon doing well to block McNulty from an open goal after a dangerous cross from Watt was swung into the box after dispossessing Montgomery in halftime. 1-1, and after the halftime interval, it was Aberdeen who began to force the issue. 
A deflected effort from Ferguson, well stopped by Seagrass before a McLennan cross made its way across the six-yard box with no takers. It's fair to say the game kind of got bogged down in a bit of a scrap at this point for the next little while. McLennan forced off with cramp on 67 minutes, replaced by McGeech before Ramirez and Bajrowin linked well on 74 minutes to send Ferguson away in the box. But his effort was again blocked by Seagrass before he denied the same player again a couple of minutes later. Kennedy replaced by Jenks just after that. The Don's number 33 running himself into the ground on one of his first games back after a long-term injury. A fine flick by Ramirez sent Bajowin away on 82 minutes, but his effort trundled wide of the post, having beaten Seagrass before the United keeper again denied Ferguson, this time with his legs after a snapshot from the young man. Jenks should have done better on a breakaway, but his dithering allowed United to get back and, and defend. Before his attempt at knocking a Bajowin cross was also blocked, as United eventually sought out for a barely deserved point. And with results elsewhere, the Dons now down to ninth place, but still, and we say this every week, only three points off a fourth spot and a European spot after a run that now sees us in no wins in our last eight league games. Three draws in a row, our longest run with no wins in leagues since 2011. Gents, your thoughts on that one? I'll consult my notebook. Gav said his notes yes, out. Yes, yes. This is the a regular feature now. Uh, so yeah, 1-1 one, one, Matty Kennedy scored. So the record for Jim Goodwin is zero wins, zero losses, and two draws. Going to make this a comprehensive thing from now on. I like it. Uh, yeah, Ross McCrory, big miss, clearly. Of all the um, absentees through illness, um, I thought it was Vicente Bajowin's best game in a Don's shirt uh, to date. I think Matty Kennedy under what... Like he confirmed on Instagram today were very trying circumstances. Deserves a lot of credit for the performance that he put in. So pretty happy for him. Um, we created clear-cut chances. So that's an improvement on where we've been in the last month or two. And with that being said, we should have won. We should have converted some of them. Um, their penalty is very, very poor from David Bates. Um, to grab the shirt once and not even do it in a subtle way where he's got his body in the way of the referee and then to just keep doing it when Harks is running towards the corner flag is just pretty amateur. And that's not what I've, that's not something I've said about David Bates too much since he's been here. Um, I've got written down here, Adam Montgomery, opposition players are allowed on the football pitch at the same time as you. <laughs> so there's every chance someone's going to try and come in and take the ball off you. So just worth, worth, worth keeping in mind. And finally, I have it written down here. Dundee United are chronic to watch. I think it's a pretty fair assessment. I don't think anyone's going to argue with much of that, are they? No. I, I, uh, so I think I might have, uh, not having a record out, um, I think I might have suffered through more games this season uh, than any other season. Um, <laughs> so I've, I, t- I take advantage of uh, some, having some time uh, to get, uh, make sure I had a season ticket. And I would really love to be positive about that match, but there seems to still be the, the, the real mentality issues. Um, there's a lot of really cheap surrendering of possession. Um, there's panic um, uh, if a team breaks against us. Um, I think, uh, you know, Jim Goodwin's coming out and uh, he's said that he thought both centre-backs were excellent. And I know that he's probably doing that to build the confidence that they clearly lack because uh, Bates looks like a broken man quite often. Yeah. Because um, he's had some excellent games for us. But then most of his matches, he's looked uh, uncomfortable, worried, and at times completely panicked. The penalty was completely ridiculous because, like, he had the shot off the guy, and then 
he, did, he got away with that, but then he's running away from goal and he grabs him again. Yeah. The boy flings himself to the deck. It's a pathetic dive, but what on earth is David Bates playing out there? Um, Goodwin was saying that uh, he doesn't want his centre-backs to be, you know, neat and or clean-cut, I believe it was. And I think that was a polite way of saying that Gallagher, for once, didn't make any major errors, but his uh, distribution of the ball from the back was absolutely honking. It was all over the place. Um, sorry, I'm saying all of this as well as uh, I'm not a professional footballer, nor was I ever anywhere near <laughs> a professional footballer, so take it with a pinch of salt. I'm not, I can't do better. Montgomery almost made me see my, uh, my macaroni pie again every time he had the ball. <laughs> he, he was getting flung about like an empty trackie. It was um, truly horrendous to watch. I've got no idea. Um, I've got no idea uh, what he was playing at. It was it was genuinely dreadful. The amount of uh, times he was caught in possession, the amount of times he gave the ball away, and I know he's just a young lad, but I mean, he's 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 playing he's playing senior football as a professional, and it was just I had my head in my hands quite a few times. Um, I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying to be positive now. I I thought Ramirez put in a great shift. I yeah. thought that some of the uh, acrobatics and gymnastics he was doing to control some wayward balls that were being sent his way were really quite impressive. Um, I thought Bajoun was fantastic. Uh, what a, what an engine he's got in him. Um, I was delighted for Matty Kennedy as well, and it was so good to see him put in, like he was busting a gut the, the entire time he was on, and he was like really playing for the shot, and it's not something you can say about everyone on that pitch. Um, Barron's an absolute revelation and I don't think there's anything I can say that hasn't already been said but his his work rate, his skill but also his willingness to like get in and correct any errors that he's made like he, he did lose possession a couple of times but he was straight away after the ball again got it back, um, really fantastic stuff I thought McLaren was brilliant as well I thought um, he, he, um, he gave a really good account of himself um, in a you know perhaps uncomfortable position, um, I think uh, I still don't really see the attraction of um, picking Ojo every week. Uh, I, I again the the amount of cheap possession I've watched him uh, you know cough up this season through dithering and through um, poor decision making is just I don't know I think I might have pulled out a few clumps of hair in the past uh, you know seven months watching them. Um, sorry, I've just I've just gone on a rant now. No, you're um, good. This is what it's all about. Uh, but yeah, again, all with the 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 real um, hands up admission that I couldn't do any better. But I'm not getting paid to do. Well, that's the point, isn't that's it? That's it. It's another game for me where I'm looking at it. I thought Ojo did well when he went to right back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I thought he did better there. But it's it's that same thing. Like he's, I believe, like it's not on his contract. I'm sure that's not how it works. But he's meant he was brought here to be a centre midfielder. And that's the role that I'm least confident of him being in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree completely with uh, the point. I didn't raise Connor Barron's performance because even though it's only three starts now, it just seems like it's just going to be common mm-hmm. that he's just going to play really well. But yeah, once again, I thought he was excellent. The the like you know I've I've watched us uh, uh, play absolute dog meat uh, this season, but I think we, from the 60th minute to the 78th minute is some of the worst football I've ever seen played by two teams against each other. Yeah. See, if I still smoked, I would probably put a fag into my thigh just to feel something. <laughs> Absolutely murder. That period of play was just... 
I don't even know actually how to really describe it to anyone that wasn't there at that game. It was literally just two teams kicking the ball in the direction they were facing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tweeted out yesterday, I think it was the guys on A View for the Terrace, who I quite like A View for the Terrace, I'm not going to lie about it, but one of them did the analysis on the games last week, obviously United picked up the draw against Rangers last week. And they were talking about Charlie Mulgrew and they were going on about how he was like, He's, he's developed himself in this real cultured centre half and, you know, he could have, if he'd been there all his career, he could have been a top, top player. And I was like, watching this yesterday, I was like, if by that you mean smash the ball in the direction he's facing, then yes, that is what he could be. <laughs> the word cultured wouldn't have entered my vocabulary for that one. Agricultured, maybe, would have been the word I would have gone with. Mm. Um, Gav, you're right, United are just, I mean, I can see why they don't concede many goals. Um they're really dogged defensively. They, they don't give up. I was going to say they don't give up chances. We we created a lot of chances actually yesterday without even playing particularly well for portions of the game. Um, but fuck me, they're brutal to watch. They they defend from the front. They defend as a unit. Um, yeah. So that's that's what you can say in praise of them. But um, in terms of the football they were playing, yeah, I, I, and we've not been great this season. Let's get that right on the record straight away. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be overly keen of watching them on a weekly basis. Let's just say that. Absolutely not. I'm just looking at the stats because this is one of the ones again that I feel sorry for, like Joe Lewis this season from an extent because he had a ropey start to the season, Joe Lewis, and I feel like he's after he was dropped and kind of came back in after that Dundee and Celtic double header in, in October. I feel like he's done okay since then. I don't think there's been any real howlers in there. But Lewis's stats this season are absolutely horrendous because. We're losing goal. We, we we cough up goals without actually conceding very many chances to teams. We 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 cough up clear cut blatant opportunities, which you can't really criticise the goalkeeper on for not saving. I was looking at this yesterday, including the penalty kick. United had two shots on goal yesterday, two shots yeah. on target. Um, so of course one of those goes in, which means his like shot percentage like saved is like fifty percent or something, which is horrendous. But you can see why that happens because, like I say, we don't really tend to cough up clear-cut opportunities for a lot of teams. But his stats this season just look dreadful off the back of it. I think you're right, David, as well. I mean, Graham, I'll bring you in in a second as well about Bates and Gallagher. Where we, where's your season ticket, Dave? Are you South Stand? Uh, South Stand and T. Okay, right. So you've got a slightly better angle on them. We're in the shed. I mean, even I could see from the shed yesterday. The shirt getting lifted. I think I could see Harks's like torso at one point, and my eyesight yeah, is terrible. Past nipples, <laughs> full frontal, especially yeah. for me. Like you know, three pints in as well. For me to be able to see it from that distance away is not good. It just shows how blatant it was, and it's odd. We kind of, I think we were kind of trying to praise Bates a little bit a few weeks ago because I felt he was starting to come on to a bit of a game with McCrory alongside him. There was still that brittleness and that shakiness there if things went against him but he was starting to look quite composed if he got off on a good foot during the game but yesterday that first 40 minutes I think I saw somebody tweeting out about it I mean if you were to tell me right now that Gal could look the more composed out the centre halves that's a massive worry and it's it is a concern now with um, the way things are going that Bates seems to be regressing again because that run up to the winter break when we were winning games, not playing great, but winning games, I thought him and McCrory were developing a real partnership. And I think for maybe November, December, there's an argument maybe that David Bates was one of our best players. But yeah, right now we're seeing the guy that arrived, you know, late in August with absolutely zero confidence about him. And yeah, it's it's concerning, certainly, because we've got no options to do anything else, really. Okay. No, I think I pretty much agree with all of that on the penalty 
David Wright, we watch it first or watching the replay, is a pretty blatant tug, and the guy actually doesn't go down. So you should be thinking, right, cut your losses. You flowed him up, you got away with one. And then as he's heading towards basically no man's land, he then decides to take a shirt off him. And there's absolutely no debating about that. So I'm not too sure what he was thinking. It's pretty silly. And then after that, like you say, he's struggling a little bit. There was one where Tony Watt basically just drives at him and baits yeah. desperate lunge. And you're just lucky Watt didn't actually make anything of what was a nothing tackle. But when you're on a booking and you dive in like that, the way it goes here is you can easily get another card for that. So I'm a little bit disappointed because he has improved recently. And on the rest of the match, it's pretty disappointed not to win. I think we we really could have won that. And the number of chances, good quality chances we created was encouraging. That spell in the game, as David described better than I can, you hope you don't really see that too much again. Maybe that was down to the opposition making it that game, but we didn't really find a way of getting out of that. So there's there were some really good performances in there, some not so good performances, but overall, it's a bit disappointed that we didn't actually get the win because unlike maybe previous games, we've had loads of ball, we were really slow, we passed it side by side. We, we actually created a handful of, especially the two in the first half with Ramirez and Bajawin, at least one of them should have hit the target if not gone in. So we did enough to win that, which has not been the case recently. Um, but overall, it was just a little bit disappointing that, again, a full house a chance to impress and we didn't really capitalise on that. I think, David, you're right as well. You picked up a good point about Goodwin's comments after the game about the centre-halves. Um, he's clearly out there trying to protect them a little bit and try to boost their confidence a bit. Because I think to turn around and say that after the first 10 minutes, they were really solid and they played really well was probably was being you know um, economic with the truth. I think it's... It's fair to say um, I wouldn't have gone as far as that. I thought actually Gallagher did, probably did okay. Yes, the Gallagher probably did what I was expecting Declan Gallagher to come to Aberdeen to do, which is defend first and foremost and kick the ball away. Um, clearly, you know, I was going to say, like, this is absolutely not a sensitive joke to be making at this time in the world, but there's a comment that Andy Murray made about Gerald Eiffel in our Worst Eleven episode. You can go back and listen to it. That is how Declan Gallagher treats the football with his feet. It's quite incredible. Yeah, it's it's, it's not great. Um, but I guess yesterday as well, you have to take into account the the illness and injury situation that Goodwin faced going into that game. I mean, it couldn't have been any worse for him, I don't think, in terms of... The only way it could have been worse is probably if Ramirez had been out as well, um, which could have been a possibility because I know that the Ramirez and Hayes families are quite close and they... They do hang around quite a bit. So that could have been a real issue if we turned up to find out that Ramirez was out uh, with, with COVID as well. Thoughts just in terms of the system we went with yesterday? Because I'm pretty certain it was a 4-3-3 first half. I thought that Ramirez, David, you touched on it as well, I thought Ramirez had a good game yesterday. Did a lot of the things that we've actually been a little bit critical of him, I think, in the pod to date, just in terms of his ability as a kind of hold-up player. To, to win things in the middle of the park, to play other people in. I thought he did a lot of that really well yesterday, but I think he was helped by the fact he had Bajouin and uh, Kennedy playing a little bit closer to him than what he's had for much of the season. Bajouin especially, I think, first half. Yeah, definitely. And um, I mean, I I must, I must will hold my hands up and say I was really quite frustrated with Ramirez at the start of the season as well, and he seemed to be a little bit off the pace. I think uh, uh, the the county match at home that um, I was I was counting him and I think he was caught offside like almost eight times in the first half, and it was just it was 
partially down to Ross County having worked out how to kind of stifle, I don't, I hate to use the phrase, but glass ball. But um, also it just, it was a kind of a, a lack of awareness. But yesterday it was like, um, he's clearly been working on it and he seemed to know a lot, or seemed to have a much better spatial awareness of who was around them and where they were and also his own positioning. Um, so I thought he, he really, he, he, he ran his arse off yesterday and you could see that he was burst by the end of the match because he'd put such a huge kind of shift in. Yeah, well, I think Graham commented afterwards, there was a moment late on in the game when he takes the ball and amazingly well skins one of their centre-backs and with a bit more pace on him, he could have perhaps gone in and got a 1v1. But like you say, he's just, he's burst by the time that he's, what, 75, 80 minutes in and that just tells the story that we've been talking about where we need another option to Christian Ramirez. So without him, yeah, we're, uh, well, we've only got the one option, as simple as that. Well, that's it. I mean, we don't know what was up with Jet yesterday. He might have been playing basketball instead of playing Epitaudry. Who knows? I, I mean, I, I think everyone who would have heard the Jim Goodwin interview last week, uh, when he was talking about the types of players he wants to bring to the football club, etc., will probably surmise from that that Jet is probably not long for the Jim Goodwin era. Uh, Pataudry, I would, I wouldn't have thought, and uh, I personally know that Graham Steele is very, very upset by that revelation. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just criminal. We're still left in that in that situation that we spoke about after the game yesterday, guys. That we've just got no other option there. Even in a game like yesterday, you could see that the game was crying out, especially again in that pe- that period of play in the middle of the second half just to bring on something different off the bench to try and either play up front with Ramirez, give us a different option through the middle of the park, somebody who can get the ball down and drive at midfield, sorry, drive at defence from, from, from the midfield area, just completely lacking that all across the pitch. And again, I know that yesterday we had the, inj- the issues with injuries, etc. but um, it's, it's been a bit of a tale of our season so far, hasn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, I think we've, it's been a long time since we've had someone with a decent goals return. I feel like we've got that in Ramirez. I just don't think we've quite unlocked his full potential. You know, he's slightly stifled. I mean, he's working hard for the team and you absolutely do want to see that. But like going at what we've commented before, do you really want to see him knackered after 60, 70 minutes? Because he's been almost playing a chunk of the game in midfield just to try and get a hold of the ball. I admire the work rate, but sometimes I feel like he should just pass that on to someone else. It's their role because that, you know, the other time where we maybe do actually win the ball in midfield and then, right, what's ahead of us? Nothing, because Ramirez isn't the quickest, but he's busting a gut to try and get back into the box now. And, and there's nothing there's nothing up front for anyone to pick out. So I I don't know what the answer is, because like, you're, like, you're right, it's not like we have obvious options. I mean, Michael Ruth coming back, fine, but he's a young guy. I can't imagine you're just going to say, right, you can go and play with Ramirez or we'll swap you out for Ramirez after a period because he's inexperienced. So I'm not sure how he fixes it, but I feel like if we can get some more support to Ramirez so that he's not absolutely out on his feet towards the end of a match, I think you'll get even more from him because he's had a pretty good return so far. I want to touch on Connor McLennan because, David, you brought him up. And um, I thought, I think it was in the opening five minutes, he got caught really badly on the ball and United broke away from it. And I thought, oh, here we go. This is That's just going to do him in now. He's very much obviously a player who relies on confidence, I think, anyway, at the best of times. Playing in an unfamiliar role with the pressure of the, the, the full house and all that kind of good stuff yesterday, I thought this is going to just, that that could be it. If I'm United now, I'm, I'm getting the ball down to the number seven every day of the week, running at this kid. And in fairness to McLennan, I think you're right, I thought he did a really, really stand-up job at right back yesterday afternoon. 
not an easy position to play um, if, if you're not used to playing in that type of that that area of the pitch. And I thought he did thought he did a good job yesterday. I think he deserves a bit of credit for that. I definitely, I think the fact that he has hardly featured at all, really, never mind being in a, a slightly unusual position. He's not had a great deal of game time anyway. Uh, to come in and do a pretty steady job is uh, is a good reflection. I mean, he had that one great clearance where I think it was pretty much surprised the guy's rolling in the net and it was McLennan. Because I, I, like, I like McLennan sort of going forward. I think sometimes he's a little bit frustrating on the ball, but there is a talent there. Sometimes he's very frustrating on the ball. <laughs> but he, he has the ability to do something a little bit out of the ordinary, which can be nice. But sometimes I feel he's a little bit tactically naive and sometimes a little lazy. So I was a little bit concerned about him in that role. But uh, credit where credit's due, he came in and did a good job. Um, you know, for the fact, something that we can maybe rely on for the rest of the season, that'd be great. If not, and that's him had his his appearance for the next week while he did a good job. So he should be happy with himself. Um, I'm a bit of a, I'm a, I'm a Clennon truther. I, I believe that like, there's a great player there. And I think um, uh, I think a manager like Goodwin might be just the, the start to give him that kick up the arse to focus him to um, maybe, as you say, uh, maybe I wouldn't say lazy myself, but, you know, to kind of, well, okay, a little ball watchy sometimes, but um, like to just to really get him to kick on because when he's on on uh, on form, like he comes away with some fantastic bits of skill. He scored some cracking goals. Yeah. Um, so I really hope that yeah, the, the new gaffer has that uh, effect on to kind of pull him out of the unfocused rut he finds himself in quite often. If you could connect brain with feet, mm. that would be fantastic. Because that's I'm, I'm the same as you. I think there's a player there. I think it's just trying to put all the different bits together because he's he's a good build for a winger. Like he's not like a he's not like a rake. He's he's got a good you know build about him that means he shouldn't be getting bounced off the ball too easily. He's pretty quick. He has skills. We've seen it at times. It's just sometimes it's like brain and feet don't quite engage at the same time, or brains running about thirty seconds ahead of what the feet are doing. But there's definitely something in there. I think, and maybe you're right. Maybe maybe a Goodwin type character might be the thing that McLennan McLennan needs. Gab, I can see you're itching to get in here. No, I was, I was just going to say it's it's the penalty that he him losing possession that's what it leads to. Mm. Yeah, it's true. It does. And yeah, yeah. yeah, like you say, for him and the entire team that could have easily been with the circumstances and the event that the game was the weekend has been heads could have easily dropped, but I didn't get the impression that we were prepared to give up at any point. If I'm being honest, I don't think that's something I can say for the entire season. So to come back the way we did very quickly to go back to the Ramirez point, I think I've probably been the most critical of his hold up play, but it's him winning the ball, using his body well, and holding up that leads to Ojo receiving the ball, who then feeds Bajawan. So yeah. deserves huge credit. Um, I think the players, yeah, wasn't a great performance by any means, but yeah, I think um, we lose that game pretty much any other point in the season. So I'm seeing signs of progress myself. Yeah, I think there's definitely signs of progress in the fact that we created chances. Too, too often this season, we've been just far too passive in the midfields or getting the ball up the park. Not, we're talking about, you know, pumping the ball long up to Ramirez or anything like that but we were definitely getting through the lines a lot quicker yesterday clearly a marked difference in the way that we're going to try and do that which is good definitely making use of the wings a lot more yesterday as well than I think we have been um, this season far too often under glass we kept on turning in fields all the time we never had any real natural width at any point in the season I felt we kept on playing with inverted wingers all the time and kept on telling them to run into the centre of the park rather than 
hugging the touchline. It felt like there was a plan to get the ball out to Bajawin and Kennedy to yeah. run at the two cloggers that they had either side of Charlie Mulgrew. <laughs> there was clearly a plan, certainly with Bajawin, to get on Graham because he had him for toast every time in the first half. And um, we kept on playing that long diagonal over the back, and which was which was good. I'll come to Bajawin in a minute. Um, Adam Montgomery, David, you spoke about him as well there. One of those performances where you're like, I felt like he did maybe like two or three good things and then he would do seven or eight horrendous things. And it's just like, mate, what's going on? Gav, I thought you summed it up really well. He needs to understand he's going to get tackled. People are going to come in and challenge him. And you're not playing for Celtic anymore. Chances are these are not going to be given as free kicks if you just throw yourself to the ground. I think it's just when you play for Celtic, you're going to have the ball more often than not. And especially in his position, all of your opponents are going to be in front of you. And it just seemed like you didn't understand that, you know, Tony Watt is going to be coming in from behind you all the time. And yeah, the number of times he got caught was just criminal. Um, yeah. Um, on the back of his performances, I'm still not really seeing why we brought him in, if I'm, if I'm being completely honest. Still utterly baffled by it, I'll be honest. Because we've got a highly rated guy out at um, Kelty, Kieran Nguenya, and it's like, if he's performing well in the same way that Connor Baden was, then yeah, I'm not completely sure why we haven't brought him back to to develop him as an Aberdeen player rather than develop a Celtic player. Could be part of uh, Marley Watkins' rehabilitation to just set him on Montgomery in training. <laughs> and uh, that'll tough him up pretty quickly if you set a unit like that on him. Um, because uh, he was he was flimsy. He was like he was made of balsa wood at points. Every time he got the ball, my heart was in my mouth. Um, because I thought this is I was just going to concede possession again and you've got Bates behind him who's going to shite himself and it's just <laughs> um, yeah it was it was bleak <laughs> the thing for me is also, he lost possession in really bad areas of the pitch his possession it wasn't like it was like he lost possession you know up on the touchline at the corner flag and it's like okay fine we can all reset and get back in the amount of times he lost possession where we'd actually decided to overcommit and suddenly like you say we were left with like Galker and Bates on a counter-attack. There was one, I think. How Galker never got booked yesterday, by the way, I've got no idea, because he had one horrendous lunge. It was either McNulty or Watt in the first half. Yeah. And then he did it again about two minutes later after Montgomery coughed up possession. And I'm like, the ref needs to be, like, surely he's going to pull him back for that. Got away with it twice. Yeah, uh, I, I must say, uh, I think I must. I think I went pretty chalk white at, at that, that first um, lunge, because if that had made connection, then... He's into the advertising hoard and, and the referee. The referee who was absolutely shocking. Oh, he was awful. Have a, a decision to make. Um, I, had, I was at the match with my mate um, who was, he's, uh, he's, he's a dandy and he, he's, 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 from, he's from Scotland, but he lives down in Kent now. And every time he comes back for a match, he just goes on about how much worse the referees got. And uh, to the point where he had the headline of refereeing crisis in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> but the inconsistency was absolutely outrageous um, and uh, I know um, you know it's a difficult job being a referee uh, but again it's also much easier if you're not shy at it and um, <laughs> David Monroe had a wee smirk on his face um, quite a lot of the match yesterday when he was just letting um, United t- practically walk the ball down when they had uh, throw-ins like near side the south stand like traveling and um obviously like you know our players were starting to complain about it and he was just smirking away as uh, these absolute cloggers for united are wandering down to the halfway line to find the ball into a half and it's just 
sorry, that's a minor gripe. We just watched that happen over and over again. But like he's he's, he's uh, awarding the free kicks and uh, deciding what very similar things were fouls and what weren't was just completely inconsistent. And um, it was amateurish. I mean, again, it was a stonewall penalty. There's no argument about that. But there was a, there was something that ha- I can't remember now what it was. But something happened in the first half that made me reach for my phone looking for the Grand Theft Auto meme. <laughs> like, ah, shit, here we go again. Uh, you're right, though. If Gallagher made contact with the, with the guy, then we'd be picking pieces of that lad's cartilage out of the main stand right now, still. A nice wee gift for Sir Alex on his way out. I, I mean, there is also the argument that um, I, I, from where I was sitting, I thought we should have had uh, um, a penalty in the second half as well. Ferguson's run into the ball, uh, and uh, he's clumsily gone into the back of um, it would have been a soft penalty, but it would have been no softer than the the one in the first half, which was you know definitely a penalty. But you know, yeah. But Ferguson was doing my nothing yesterday as well. I forgot to mention him, but um, he was just uh, like, don't get me wrong, uh, he's an essential player. He holds up the ball very well. He wins the ball well. He's good at getting in the referee's ear about things, but also he still thinks that he is capable of whilst falling over to hoof a shot towards get it into the. And he just does that consistently. The kind of uh, it's the self belief that he can ping it in from anywhere. It's the Kenny McLean Ronaldo syndrome. <laughs> there was that one. There was a second half where he's like just so overbalanced. Then you're like, you can see him thinking, "I'm going to hit it," and you're like, "Don't do it." And he kind of took an touch, and you're still off balance, mate. I'm going to do it. Don't do it. Fuck it, I'll have a lash. And it went into, the, the best thing about it was, it was so high, it went into, you know, in the Dick Donald, because I, I followed it in, it went into the second, you know, the second layer of seating in the in the Dick Donald lower, but it went square into one of the exits. Oh, well. It was like, if, if that's what he's aiming for, <laughs> fine finish. I think, like, it can normally be quite frustrating, but it's the fact that he took a second touch on the way to yeah. the pit, and then he hit it. It's like... I know. It's like, well, I wish I had that self-confidence. <laughs> <laughs> he had the chance to play Bajewin and I think Bajewin had made quite a nice run and it was like, that was a, it's not an easy pass again when you're off balance. But it's, a, it's an easier thing to do than, well, unless, like I say, he was aiming for... Easier than smashing at top bins, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Connor Barron, just on him again yesterday. I can't believe I just said top bins. Sorry, guys. Top bins. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's gone all soccer AM and open goal all of a sudden. Gav, what the fuck? Connor Barron, just, uh, I mean, that's what, his second, third start? Third start. Third start for us yesterday. That was a fantastic performance by by the wee guy yesterday. Um, for a guy who's not, you know, he's, he's not a big lad. United are a pretty, I say pretty. You know, they're agricultural, let's put it that way. And you could see there was going to be guys in that sense of my field just looking at eyeing him up, thinking, here we go. It's like red meat in front of an Alsatian. And I thought he handled himself so well out there, dogged in tackles, so confident in possession of the ball, pinged a couple of superb cross-field passes out to Bajau in first half as well. I'm pretty sure he's only under contract until the end of next season now. I think we put on we gave him a 12-month extension, I think, when he came back from Kelty. First thing they need to be doing, Goodwin's, I know they've got McCrory signed up. Next thing has to be getting Barron on a, a decent deal here because if he continues on this trajectory, was that a two-year deal? 2024. You sure? Yep. I've got a really high pitch there because I refuse to believe you. Unless you're calling the people that run afc.co.uk liars. Well, I'm not. That was, that was a joke <laughs> for anyone listening at the club. <laughs> two years. 
they signed a two-year deal. Yep. That's that's positive. Um, I think it was a one-year extension. It might have been. Could have been. You're, you're probably right on that side. But just in terms of the young man's development, we, we all can't get too excited about it because you don't want to put too much pressure on him. But at this moment in time, I find it difficult for anyone to displace him in the side. And I get the impression from Jim Goodwood, if you're in possession of the shirt and you're doing well, you'll keep it. Yeah, he was... He was all he was everywhere uh, yesterday. There was one bit in particular that um so there's one clearance in particular. I've got no idea how he got on it. I think um I think it was Watt was uh, on the edge of the uh, 18 yard box and uh was about to like ping off a shot, which you know there was nothing in front of him. And somehow Barron just managed to nip it off him and yeah. just hoof it out into this uh, the main stand and it was not quite sure how he did it, um, but it was just incredible. And then the rest of the match he was don't want to, yeah, again, put too much pressure on him, but it was a close to a pretty flawless performance from him. Yeah, well, he's doing nothing to warrant any consideration to dropping him out of the team. Um, yeah, he's just, he's very assured with the ball. He's tenacious and he's got also a really good ability to improvise in situations just with whatever happens with the ball to just make something happen positive. So, yeah, um, like I said, I didn't include it in my notes because it just seems like it's just going to be a very... Almost feels regulation now. Connor Barron comes in, plays well. Next game, please. Graham? I think everyone's covered points. He was um his long way to go. He's you know, he's just sort of breaking out the team, but certainly looks really encouraging. Cause I'll confess when when he started against Motherwell, I think well, he's quite slight. Maybe that might prove quite tricky, but actually big people have said he's pretty tenacious. Uh, but more importantly, he's that kind of guy that just looks like he's got a little bit of space when he gets the ball. So I feel like he's probably going to get clattered a few times, but it doesn't really look like it's going to bother him too much. And uh, some of the balls he played were, you know, were excellent. And he seems to have a decent range of passing. And more importantly, he seems to be quite confident to try different things. You know, it was all too easy for a lot of the midfielders. And going back the last couple of weeks, they just get the ball, look up. Oh, maybe that pass isn't on. Or I could just play it sideways. And it's all a bit slow, whereas he could do that. He seems to have a good handle on when do you just knock it off to a teammate? Or, for example, when has someone made a run that he can ping a ball out of their boot? So it's really encouraging so far, and hopefully he gets the chance to continue his development in the in the first team, ideally. Overall, just on a performance level then, um, where do we think that was yesterday in terms of just the season as a whole so far? Are we seeing, obviously, Goodwin's only come in the door, you know, a, a week ago. Um, that's his first week he's had under his belt training with the, with the side seeing any real kind of like fundamental differences already from Goodwin and, and I guess David we never spoke about this actually just your thoughts actually about Goodwin as manager anyway just I am going to be positive um, I think at first I thought it was maybe a little too reactionary as a kind of a, we've gone for playing or sorry trying to play football with a touch of flair um, but then it's gone back to the <laughs> let's 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 be hard to beat, and I was yeah. worried it was too much of a let's just make us hard to beat appointment uh, without. But you know, on the basis of of yesterday, certainly now that he had a, a week in charge, I thought that um, we were playing more more effective, um, like uh, attacking football. Certainly, and um, the chances were getting created. Still lacks a, a bite, but I think you know in the final, well, of actually putting it in the net, but. It, I think that's just a confidence thing. And I think that um, even on the pitch afterwards, he was going around and making sure he was, uh, in particular, uh, big hugs for Bates and Gallagher on the pitch. 
one arm around them, one arm like waving at the the crowd. He's trying. He's clearly trying to instill some confidence in them and also maybe build some empathy from the us, the fans, towards uh, some of the more maligned players this season. But yeah, I'm 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 happy that uh, he he seems to have a very good attitude about um, team selection and um, you know performance management. Um, essentially corporate but you know what I mean it's like uh, I think the fact that um, you know he's sent Jet to the beach with a kite or something uh, <laughs> um, instead of putting him on the bench um, shows that he's he's serious about um, making sure that players who are going to perform will end up in the starting lineup, or even sorry or even in, a, in the match day squad so yeah I'm, I'm going to put my faith in it um and I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be positive, uncharacteristically positive. Nice, like it. I mean, I must admit, I think we've we've spoken about it to death. I think a lot of people were pretty underwhelmed. I think by the selection choices we were left with in terms of like Jack Cross, Goodwin, etc. But you know, in fairness to him, and it's easy just to talk the talk. He's come in and said all the right things so far. He seems to have bought into certainly how big the club is and all that kind of good stuff that goes with it. Um, and yeah, I thought the interview he did last week was very, very impressive, the way he was talking about the types of players that he wants to bring to the club. And even just to think the fact that he was talking very much in the sense of minimum expectations for Aberdeen, absolute base level minimum for us is third place in the league, cup semis, cup finals. These are not achievements per se. That should just be what we should be doing as a matter of course. And again, talks talk he has to he has to go out and walk it but I felt at least that was a bit of a, a change in mindset to an extent as well that this is a, a guy who's quite driven and he's got certainly like I say a real base level expectation where everyone has to be and he spoke about it as well it's that thing about but he's right as well about this football fans will give their team the benefit of the doubt and they'll give them more time when they see a team that's actually busting their gut for the shirts and to try and win games even if results don't come if they see that there's effort and they see there's fight and they see there's desire it goes a long way to buy you a lot of time with the support if nothing else and that's been something that's been missing I think for most of the season is just that lack of fight and desire I think on the pitch yeah I'd, I'd wholeheartedly agree with that um, uh, I'd say that um, there, I'd say there were seven seven or eight players who put in a really 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 hard shift yesterday and then they're still a fair few who are not cutting it, that are not um they're not putting the same amount of like blood, sweat and tears into it, into their performances. And whether that's due to um they're not happy at the club, they're not um or they're having some sort of, you know, crisis of confidence, um, or a real dip in form, whatever it is, it's just it's concerning. Um, but again, this is he's had eight days in charge, and that was a much improved performance. And there were uh, there were players out there absolutely busting their arse. So um, yeah, um, and I think that out of the available candidates that were realistic, it was definitely the best appointment that could have been made. Um, I likewise agree. I think it was a very impressive interview that he gave, and I think you can just see from the way that he conducts himself on the touchline during games. He commented himself that the reason he had a career as a footballer was mainly that he worked as hard as he could to be as fit as he could. And I get the impression that, yeah, standards, there's going to, standards are going to be implemented now. And I'm, I sometimes wonder with the sheer number of individual mistakes that we've made that have contributed to goals every game, I do wonder if maybe standards weren't being kept up to the same extent 
to the same level under the uh, the previous management and to go back to Jet. Um, he's either on a beach or we can loan him to the Aberdeen Titans basketball team for the rest of the season. Is that where he is? That's where he was around about uh, January. Actually, that, this, this, this is this is going far to Lee Wallace territory. I'm gonna stop talking now. <laughs> the um, I saw a couple of like slightly mad takes yesterday um, online after the game. Um, I got sent a couple around people suggesting that you know there was a lack of urgency or effort on the part of the side second half. I didn't. I didn't feel like I saw that. I felt that United as well, second half. I mean, first half, they weren't really coming at us. Second half, though, they clearly made a decision that they were just going to sit in. Three at the back, they were going to double up on our wingers at every opportunity and just make it very difficult for us to try and break them down. I didn't feel at any point felt that we weren't trying to find ways to break them down. It maybe wasn't working for whatever reason, but I didn't feel that there was any point during the game where I thought we were just going through the motions. Even during that lull of that that period of the second half we talked about earlier on, where it got really attritional, I still felt like we were still trying to figure out a way to, to win the game. I think, sorry, <laughs> I'm talking a lot more than I planned. I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> ill-informed nonsense. Um, <laughs> I think that um, I did feel that we started to run out of ideas. And I think it comes from what you said. We don't have another option from, uh, from, uh, from Ramirez. I think McGee yeah. was very, very uh, helpful when he came on. I think that he, um, some of his passing was great at opening up United a bit more. But again, like when we only have the kind of option of Ramirez there um, to hold things up and really be, the, you know, the classic number nine that we, we need, it's we just kind of ran out of ideas and options. And I think that maybe looked like a lack of urgency because the thing, the one of the main criticisms that I would level at the team over the season is there was a severe lack of urgency. Like there's such a focus on possession. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, there was a real kind of a, well, perhaps, you know, go at it a bit faster. Maybe get <laughs> into the box. You know, Joe Lewis has had the ball a surprising amount of the game, to be honest. So, but certainly yesterday, the ball was mostly going in the right direction. You know, there was a lot more positive play. But yeah, I think we just essentially ran out of ideas and um, United were quite happy with that, given how we finished the first half. Yeah, definitely. I think the only time I can maybe point towards a lack of urgency or a lack of focus or drive would be the Teddy Jenks opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I think if he drives towards goal with the intention, I'm going to go towards goal and I'm going to, finish this chances are we either get a goal or at least force the keeper into making a save that's the one time i could point the finger i there was a moment they put the ball united put the ball in the box and lewis came and took it and people were having a pop at him because he didn't release the ball quickly enough and it's kind of that thing like well you can't release the ball if there's no one showing for it so i think yeah i think that was well as anything there's probably a lack of confidence as well playing in playing a part in that I think that that run from Jenks basically summed up Teddy Jenks as a footballer, I think, to be honest. I think that could be the showreel. I, I turned to my mate just after that and said, that's just that's because he's been on the park for 90 seconds and he was surprised to find himself in that situation so quickly. Because he did genuinely, he suddenly almost got the halt going, oh. <laughs> Got a chance here. <laughs> oh, I'm on the pitch now. It's like, come on, Teddy. Come on, Tedward. Wake up. <laughs> But it's one of those, it's like, 
has got the ability to drive with the ball at his feet and then just suddenly kind of dithers on it. On his hand. Yeah, and his hands. Very good at handball. Maybe that's where Teddy Jenks' career needs to go. But really just frustrating all in all from that perspective. We'll move on. Top Dons for you guys yesterday. I suspect this will probably be a unanimous one, I'm expecting. But um, we'll throw it out to everyone. Uh, Baron for me, um, just uh, just did everything right and was all over the centre of the, the, the pitch, box to box. Well, I was going to say Bajawan, but then that's clearly not unanimous, is it? So... Baron was excellent, but I just, I don't know, it's maybe just the type of player I probably like watching the likes of a Bajawan who's tearing past people, getting into the box. What Baron did was excellent and it's just import, just as important, but I'm probably more minded to someone who's a, a tricky winger type player. So I thought Bajawan was really good because he had decent chances himself and even just taking shots, which is something we've not been very good at, but, you know, shots across the keeper, Spells. There was, you know, them. We're easily the pleased there with. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, it feels like it's just how rank it's been. Someone taking oh, right. a shot is enough to boost them <laughs> right up into a top down category for me because um, he didn't pass it in field. This is where Adam Montgomery went wrong the whole game. Um, so it's a split decision. This is not going to be as uh, controversial as the Josh Taylor fight, though. Um, I would say I can't split Connor Barron and Bishowen. So. It's a draw. Oh, well, there was my... I can't even analyse what our, everyone on the call thinks at any point, let alone football. I'd have gone with Bajowin as well, to be honest. So, um, Baron I thought was superb. I thought was excellent. But I thought it was Bajowin's... Uh, as Gav's already said earlier on, I thought Baron's performance, yes, it was already what I'm expecting from him. Um, and, and I thought it was superb. Maybe it's because I'd only seen like the highlights of the other matches that he started, but I'd just seen him in the flesh like playing like that. I thought Bajowin was a very, very close second. Um, and had he scored that absolute gift, then oh, yeah. I would have gone home. Um, but yeah, I think I was just so like stunned at the kind of the the maturity uh, and the skill shown by uh, Baron that um, that was what just tipped it for me. Just on Bajau and just things, we didn't talk about him during the segment just before, but I mean, for me, that was definitely his best performance in a red shirt. He's shown flashes, I think, since he's been here about what he can offer, but that was pretty much uh, if he'd scores it's pretty much a complete 90 minutes I think from him in terms of what you'd expect from a player in that position seems to have settled in well and I think he's already starting to put to bed some of the doubts I guess some of us might have had bringing in a player from the second division in Holland about just his ability to have a bit of dig and you know you know fight not be scared of going in for a tackle being quite physical seems to be more than up for the fight in Scottish football has got a decent bit of pace on him he's got a trick thought he had the boy Graham on toast yesterday for much of the second half. A, a winger very much in your mould, Graham. I think he's been decent. I think he will look better under the Goodwin regime mm-hmm. for a little bit more direct. Because I felt the first couple of games when he had under Stephen Glass, he'd sort of he'd like drop deep, get the ball, pop it off to someone, spin round. He's making a run, but we've had like four or five passes between the midfielders before we put it back to Lewis. And they say, well, what's the point? <laughs> Whereas yesterday, if he did do that and then he made a run, someone was looking for him. And I think he is, he's quick. He's definitely more up for the physical battle than I thought he might have been. But more importantly, it looks like he can actually play a little bit. So if he cannot get bullied off the ball, but then actually do something with it, I think we've uh, potentially got a pretty good signing there. And I take your point, he's exactly the way I play the game. <laughs> 
on that note, I think we'll finish it there from that perspective. Split decision on Top Don and as Gav's pointed out in the mould of the Josh Taylor cattle fight last night, that means your man of the match was Declan Gallagher. <laughs> Let's move on. Other news from Pathology this week. On the women's side, a thumping 5-1 victory for Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath's side over Motherwell. When will we ever stop playing fucking Motherwell? When? Is it Groundhog Day? That's what it feels, it feels like. like it. Well, it's yeah. not because we won this time. Oh, uh, yeah. Deja vu. Um, I don't know what the sensation is, but you look, at, you look at the fixtures regardless of which team's playing. Oh, Motherwell. <laughs> well, we're going to come on to it in a minute, but guess who the under-18s are playing next? Uh, stab in the dark, Motherwell, maybe? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Uh, yeah, a, a big win on Sunday afternoon saw the women's side move up to fifth spot in the league. One change in the starting lineup from the one that knocked Spartans out of the Scottish Cup in a thriller last time out. Hannah Innes stepping into the side in place of Donna Patterson as the Dons look to build on their four consecutive wins coming into this one. That's a sensation not very many of us know at the moment. But it was the visitors who started the brighter, a well-thought-out set-piece, saw a nice short fun. corner. Nice, thank you. Thought that one out, eh? <laughs> a well-thought-out set-piece, saw a short corner, played to Ingalls, and her corner went all the way to the back post, met by Cunningham, who arrived to finish high into the net. But Aberdeen got the equaliser, on 18 minutes, a brilliant left-footed free kick from Chloe Gover, clearing the wall and nestling in the top corner of the net. No more than the hosts deserved. And it took until... <laughs> what have you just said, Ed? I think this is from Livingston's like TikTok account. Just, look, just go look at it. It's amazing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But for that alone, Livingston deserve to win the league, I would suggest. I'm giving, I'm giving it to them. Yeah, all credit to Liam and the Amabile pod guys for their side's social media efforts this season. That is sensational stuff. Um, Gav, you're going to have to share that on the, the ABZFT. Oh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on it. I'm on it. Let's go back to the, the review of the match this afternoon at the Balmoral. Uh, a fine free kick from Chloe Gover bringing the hosts back on level terms in 18 minutes that left-footed effort sailing over the wall nestling in the top corner and it took though just until half time for Aberdeen to make their dominance count a fortuitous goal seeing Campbell's lofted cross sail over Duff in the well goal and the Dons went in at the interval up by a solitary strike and into the second half spot kick awarded to Motherwell but Leanne Crichton's spot kick smashing off the post to give the Dons a reprieve and it was not one they would let go of. Ogilvy springing the Motherwell offside trap a minute later before side-footing past Duff for 3-1. It was four on six to eight minutes, sure winning the ball in midfield before playing in Hutchison, and she latched onto the pass before firing home. And a fifth goal arrived just five minutes later, sure again linking with Hutchison, who smashed in her 14th goal of the campaign as the Dons went nap, who then saw out the game comfortably to finish fifth in the table this weekend an impressive afternoon's work from the girls in red and fifth in the table would probably be the upper end I would imagine where Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath were hoping to to aim for this season because above that you'd have Glasgow City Rangers and Celtic and then Hebs who are obviously got professional level status for for three of those four clubs and Hebs are well well experienced at this level so going good guns for Emma Hunter Gavin Beath next up it's a rearranged SWPL1 fixture with Glasgow City 
at Peter's Hill Park on Wednesday night before Celtic visit the Balmoral next Sunday. And on the young team, Scott Anderson and Barry Robson returned to under-18 duties this week as the young team visited Lanarkshire to take on Hamilton in the Cavs under-18 league. With Robson serving a touchline ban, meaning it was Scott Anderson taking charge on the sidelines as Aberdeen looked to make it three away wins in a row. And the Dons did a great start, Alfie Babbage getting on the end of a Dylan Lobbin corner to score at the near post. After just 10 minutes, and Aberdeen continued to dominate, Marshall going close before Lobbin's free kick from just outside the box floated over the bar. And at halftime, it was 1-0 to Aberdeen. The Dons made it two on 65 minutes. Bavage the creator, this time robbing an Aki's player before setting up Adam Emsley to fire home from 10 yards. But it was Aki's who turned it all around. A quick free kick left Shingler exposed and Oni finished well on 68 minutes before Aki's made it. Desmond just a couple of minutes later, Miko pouncing on a rebound off the bar to nod home. And into stoppage time, Aki's snatching the points deep into injury time. A fine finish by one of Aki's three trialists. A harsh one on the young team, but they will hope to learn from that going forward. And next up, Graham, it's a visit of... Motherwell to Cormac Park. And on Lone Watch, another 90 minutes for Luke Turner as Cliftonville saw off Crusaders by three goals to one in the Norwich Irish Premiership. No space for Mark Gallagher in this one for Cliftonville again. Jack McIver straight back into the Huntley starting lineup after returning to the Highland League side a couple of weeks ago. And he played the full 90 minutes as Huntley went down by three goals to nil at home to Brecon City with former Don Michael Payton on the score sheet for the visitors. Elsewhere, Kieran Iguenya lasted the full 90 for Kelty Hearts as they beat Annan Athletic by three goals to one in League Two. Evan Towler played the full 90 as Elgin City beat Sterling Albion by three goals to one. Former Don, Mason, not former Don, fellow Don, Mason Hancock with the full 90 for the Beanos. New Elgin signing Tyler McKaita coming off the bench in the closing minutes as well for this one after he joined from Aberdeen until the end of the season, in a move that also saw Kevin Hanratty return to Aberdeen, his loan spell being cut short. Ryan Duncan not in the squad as Peter Head edged out Dumbarton by the odd goal in a seven-goal thriller at Balmour that saw renowned scumbag Paul Payton with a straight red card. And finally, Dean Campbell was an unused substitute as Kilmarnock drew 0-0 with Dunfermline in the Championship. Fantasy Football Scotland updates for this week. Gents, uh, I'm going to go to you guys first because I'm... Well, I'm just going to say right away that we're not the important part of this conversation. The big news is that Steve Brown, Gold Frankenstein and Gurr, he's in at the medal positions. Oh, nice. He's in nice. second place now. But some way off, he's, all, he's 126 points off of Jack Curran. Those two turkeys, man, they keep on keeping on. Absolutely. Um, yeah, 39 points for myself. That is an improvement and it's... Surprising given that I have still got a player in my team who is currently employed in England. Tells you really all you need to know about the effort I'm putting into this. So I'm happy enough. Creeping my way back up to the top 100. 28 points for me this week. Um, benefiting hugely from having Benjamin Segrist in goals, it turns out. Other than that, not the Fred. I really need to have a look at this. This side needs a, needs a lot of work on it, it's fair to say. Uh, although I have, I've climbed up the table up to 208th this week. Out of? Uh, 245. Still in the relegation places as far as I'm concerned. Graham? I had 54 points. Ooh. I think benefiting from having all my players being sort of Scotland-based. Oh, you had a good week, actually. Charles Cook with a hat-trick. Bruce Anderson. My captaining and vice-captaining with a little bit of tweakery, that could have ramped up my points significantly. But you know, that's a decent return. That's all right. That's not bad, mate. Not bad at all. 
Not Bruce bad. Anderson requires two more goals to become the like record goal scorer for Livingston in a single campaign in the SPL. He doesn't really. He doesn't. Well, there we go. So fair play to Bruce. Yeah, definitely. I wonder how much it'll cost us to bring him back in the summer. Oh, we just put Jet back. <laughs> I, I think it's fair to say that Livingston might not entertain that deal. Speaking of um, Bruce Anderson, guess which one of his colleagues did not get booked? Alan Forrest. Uh, no, it was Jason Holt because he's unbookable. Did Jason? Did he play? Yeah. Well, there we go. Although, I mean, he wouldn't have had to put in too many tackles, I guess, yesterday against Mark McGee's Dundee. No, probably not. Let's look. <laughs> I promise anyone that's listening, we have not just like created this segue to go back to slagging Mark McGee. Well, that's what you think. No, it's just um, a gift that keeps on giving. He only won one of four tackles yesterday, Jason Holt. There we go. Interesting stuff. Uh, in the Fantasy Football League itself, yeah, we, we touched on it there. It, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a runaway title charge, I think, for Jack Curran here. It's I think. kind of become a one-horse race. Yeah, yeah, or a two-turkey race, as it is. <laughs> um, he's going to have to go some to collapse here. Uh, Gold Frankenstein Sinclair, as you touched on, moves up into the, the, the podium positions, which is lovely to see. Old Kent Road, Oliver Curran in third, Kingdom of Morocco, Hafaziri in fourth. And then, yeah, we're just down into the... After that, you're just down into the dregs, let's be honest, aren't we? More or less, yeah. Well, Matt's, Matt's Marvels are fifth, isn't it? Matt's so he Marvels. Was, he was in the, uh, I think he was sitting in the medal positions this time last week. It just shows how quickly it can be taken away from you, doesn't it? Let's move on. So this week sees the Dons hit the road again. A double header of away fixtures in the Premiership as we travel to Tynecastle on Wednesday evening before we head to Ibrox next Saturday. So let's just take a little bit of time, just have a look at those games, see what we think we can expect, how we see those fixtures going. So first up, it's Hearts on Wednesday evening. Hearts are obviously sitting alone in third spot. Probably likely that's where they're going to finish because no one underneath them has decided to you know, actually pull their finger out of the arse and do anything about it. That's despite that Hearts have gone on a sequence until yesterday of having no wins in five. No one's come close to them. They've got two wins in their last eight in the league. Still no one's near them. Uh, they got their win at St Mirren yesterday, 2-0, but uh, St Mirren were down to 10 men after only 22 minutes on that one. And in recent fixtures, they've lost at home to Dundee. Um, we'll come on to Dundee, I imagine, shortly. Uh, <laughs> and they also got beat away at St Johnston third best defence in the league probably no surprise they're fourth top scorers in the league although they've had seven penalties awarded to them this season so that counts for quite a lot of those goals most out of anyone in the top flight Craig Gordon with the second most saves per match in the league which would suggest they give up opportunities if nothing else what are we expecting on Wednesday night always a tough fixture for Aberdeen in Gorgie a good win classic Uh, (laughs) 1-0 1-0 nice nice Maintaining that 300% draw percentage. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they got the win against St Mirren on Saturday, didn't they? Um, nothing to be afraid of. Poor, poor Hearts team. Um, it's a testament to, if I want to be polite and diplomatic, I'll say how competitive the league has been. If I want to be more realistic, it's a testament to how shite the league has been this year, that no one is anywhere near them. It's, yeah. Nothing to be afraid of. Craig Gord is the reason they're in third place. So, yeah, take the game to them in the same way we did on, uh, what, the third game? Third league game of the season or so? Yeah. Early on. And maybe maybe we'll jet out for, for his encore. Because he was really good there that day. So let's maybe just... 
end him out on a high note. Wheel him out to give Andy Halliday like PTSD again. <laughs> Hopefully the players that were unavailable due to illness are back um, for Wednesday. I don't know quite what the situation is there anymore, to be quite honest with you. I've lost complete track of it. Just hopefully we've got some more bodies back in and we can take the game to them in the same way we did United and just finish our chances this time. Well, certainly the indication for Goodwin is going to be that the guys who were out ill, in inverted commas, so we all know what that means, I think they're expecting they should all be back for Wednesday night unless, you know, something catastrophic goes wrong there. Scott Brownie was talking about maybe back in on Monday, ready to go. Um, at the moment, I don't think Scott Brown gets in the team right now, if I'm brutally honest. I think we looked much more dynamic in the centre of the park with Ferguson and Barron in there. Um, and even with Ojo's faults, I feel that he at least gets up and down the park a bit more than than we do otherwise, and that's what we have to, to deal with now. Dylan McGeeck might have played his way into some thinking with how he played as well on, on Saturday when he came off the bench, but my concern there is he's maybe just a bit too similar to Barron and to Ferguson. You probably do need a guy who's willing to, to run with the ball. So hopefully there are going to be players back. Um, but you're right, Gab, it's a testament just how pissed the league is this season. The Hearts, who are absolutely no great shakes, and I know I'm going to come to regret saying that now, are 11 points clear in third spot at the moment, um, which is just fucking unbelievable. So is the much-talked-about uh, much talked about liquid singe uh, diarrhoea thing? <laughs> that's how they should be marketing it. That, that's how they should be marketing it. I mean... I mean, they've they've tried to shout it, but just no one's taken up the uh, taken up the offer. I'd agree on the Scott Brown comment. If we take it that Barron and Ferguson are automatic starters, then Ross McCrory comes in every day of the week before Scott Brown. But then does he come into back in midfield? You take Ojo out and put McCrory in. Hundred percent. McCrory's at least got the legs, isn't he? He can do that job. I think Ross McCrory can provide protection to this to the centre back area from midfield. Um, and he provides so much more going forward. So despite what I said about maybe slotting him into centre-back to fill a gap, um, I think realistically that's he'll play centre midfield. Yeah. The only thing I'm a bit wary about with Hearts is um, the boy they've got on loan from, is it Everton, whose name is now escaping me, and I'm going to have to try and look the Sims. He's a handful. He's a, he's a big lad, real physical presence. If I'm Robbie Nielsen, I'm starting him every day of the week against us because we've seen what the likes of Van Veen and these guys have done to us all season where they put a little bit of physicality against, especially line them up against David Bates. I hate to pick on the guy, but if I was Nielsen, I'd be telling Sims just to stand on Bates the entire game, get balls lobbed up to him and win second balls off him. That's my, that's my biggest concern with with Hearts on Wednesday night is this, is this lad because of how we're playing at the moment. This is the challenge that you'd think that we signed Declan Gallagher to to handle. So I don't know if you like try and just make it almost like a man marking rule where Gallagher just follows this guy yeah, everywhere. What happened know. with Gallagher with Van Veen last week? Well that's well that's 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 up to Declan Gallagher to prove if he should be here or not, if or if he even wants to be here, as far as I'm concerned. Is there any option to just wheel out Considine? I mean, do you mean like literally wheel him out? Literally wheel him out, park him there. Um, I feel like that might give us half a chance. Um, Take the Alex Ferguson statue down to Tyne Castle. <laughs> oh, speaking of that, right, I actually saw some opposition fans commenting, and they were being deadly serious about this, about the fact that we couldn't possibly be leaving the statue, you know, where we'd unveiled it. <laughs> <laughs> they, were like, they can't be putting it there. That's like, that'll be a that'd be a massive risk to players. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, we're just going to leave it just sitting on like the six yard box. 
That's exactly where we're going to put it, mate. Oh, dear. Honestly, Scottish football. But yeah, I, I just think Wednesday's going to be a very typical game against Hearts at Tynecastle with Robbie Nielsen in charge of the of the home side, physical battle. But maybe a game, like you say, David, as well, where, you know, maybe it's a game where Goodwin comes to the fore a little bit. This is not going to be a pretty encounter, but this is where we need that bit of steel and determination and a bit of fight and put in, put in a, a battle to try and at least come away with something. I think, being honest, I think a point would be a decent result for us on Wednesday night, given just how the, the form we're in at the moment, how things have gone so far this season. That said, these two away fixtures coming up, and our fixtures towards now the split, I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm not convinced we even make top six now this season, the way that our campaign's gone, the fixtures we've got coming up. It's going to be intriguing to see where we get to. My uh, my positivity has raised from um, the one celebration this season being winning the playoff final to we might <laughs> the top six. So, you know, it's baby steps, but... <laughs> I mean, are we just gonna like skip over our, our whole if this if X, Y, and Z happens, we could be fourth place next next week? I mean, I feel like I've said that now for about six weeks on the trot, and every week all that happens is every team in the league draws. <laughs> and so we just end up in the same position every week again. It's happened this weekend. Uh Livingston are the only team that have benefited this week. Yeah, yeah. Um after their four-nil shellicking of well, Mark McGee's Dundee. Um, I don't know if anyone saw this. Mark McGee blamed James McPake for how bad Dundee's defending was yesterday. <laughs> he's shameless. Oh, maybe he's like, maybe he's actually just a really, really committed performance artist. <laughs> um, I, I actually watched the the Dundee Livy highlights just uh, to make me feel better about our own defence, and it really did. It did, didn't it? I haven't seen it yet. Is it that bad? The third goal is a sight to behold. It really is. I'm not even going to describe it. you just got to go and watch it. I'll go and watch it once we finish up. The cross literally passes the feet of a queue of Dundee players. It's uh, it's, it's a thing of beauty and farce. I couldn't believe what I was hearing though on it yesterday because just like the interviewer was just like, you know, Mark Quaging, that all went wrong. He's like, oh, you know, you know, you know, we came in here because things were broken and we need to sort that. And um, defensively, we've been... It's been a it's been a mess all season, and we need to sort that. So it's very much like it's the previous guy's fault. Shot corner mark. It's not your fault. But I did notice <laughs> that last week at Celtic, he took all the credit for how good a performance they put in at Celtic Park. Now, surely that would have been more likely to be a James McPake credit where credit is due, because considering McGee had been in the door for what <clears throat> two minutes. I did enjoy watching the young lad go down to try and get a selfie with him. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, I continue to hope that that shit happens for the rest of the season, that people are just thrusting mobile phones. It's, it's his kryptonite. Smartphones are Mark McGee's <laughs> kryptonite. I think there's one very obvious difference between the, um, uh, the the Celtic performance and the Livy performance for Dundee, and it's the fact that he didn't have his desktop computer at Dens Park. Oh, yes! He double-screened it as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Probably running next. What a guy. <laughs> <laughs> What a guy. What a guy. Anyway, that's enough about Mark McGee for this week. Oh, for this I week, yeah. I feel like it's going to be a recurring feature. Although I am disappointed because of the fact, I don't know when they're rearranged. You know how they, they were meant to play Submarine in the midweek? Yeah. And it got postponed. I don't know when that's been rearranged for because the way the fixtures were lining up had meant that his first game on the touchline was going to be against us when we played the <laughs> end. According to the BBC, it's Wednesday the 9th of March. 
Oh, that comes. That's that. So that might still be the case. Then it might. It depends as well. I think whether or not cup games are in the ban or not. I don't know if they are. Mm-hmm. If they are, he'll have been in before. But yeah, his first game in the touchline might be against us at Benz. That is, if he's not been like you know sacked already. Dabbing fans should just be waving their mobile phones at him for the entire time when he comes out of the tunnel. <laughs> They'll just shit it, I imagine. Back to Aberdeen. Predictions then for Wednesday night at Tynecastle. I'm going to stay true to form. Uh, 1-1. 1-1. Nice. A goal from... You know, I keep saying it. I'm going to say it again. David Bates is going to get a goal. What end? David is very much biting his lip right now with that one. Oh, I, like the thing is, I, I really want him to do well, and I just want him. It's like feel like getting a banner printed uh, for the next match. I'm at. It says announced sports psychologist. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's got good performances in him, but yeah, he does. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, no. Anyway, it's a bit like watching a toddler play with scissors. Um, <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> you, you, if a toddler was far away from you playing the scissors, it's going to end in disaster, but you're powerless to stop it. So, like, watching him defend is like, um, anyway, but yeah, not all the time. He's had some good matches, and I have, I have faith that he'll, he'll, uh, he'll pull it together um, if he's given the, the correct um, shouty care by Jim Goodwin. I was going to say, I thought you were going to say the correct tools, and I was going to be like, Scissors, obviously, is what we're looking for there, but never mind. I think we found this. I think we found the sound bite for this week, though, Gav. Oh yeah, there we go. Like watching a toddler play with scissors. Excellent, I love it. And then, oh, sorry, Graham, you didn't give us a prediction there, did you? I'm going to go for a swashbuckling two-two. Oh, two-two, Desmond, like it, Dave. David, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, score draw. I think so. I'll go for a. I'll go for a thrilling one-zero. I'm going to go the same because I can't. I can never say we're going to lose, so I'm going to go with. Uh, well, you did last week. I did last week. That's true. One-one. Uh, Fuck it. Why not? And then next week we travel back to uh, Ibrox. Has <laughs> anyone listened to the full-time whistle at Ibrox this afternoon uh, after they were two 0 up at home? Motherwell and surrendered that to draw two-two. Oh, they wouldn't surrender anything, would they? <laughs> I, I am definitely going to bite my. Bite my cheek for the entirety of this bit of the podcast. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> um, all I'll say is go and listen to that. If if the mother will, if sorry, if the Dundee goals yesterday raised a smile, the reaction at full time today will absolutely raise at least a, a a little bit of a chuckle. I imagine in most people, those booze inject them into my veins <laughs> right now. <laughs> Glorious stuff. Um, it, where, where does it rank like with like Scott Wright getting called out for being pish on Twitter? <laughs> uh, maybe not quite as high as that. As um, I believe Alan McGregor was getting a little bit of stick for maybe one or two of the goals he conceded, which breaks my heart. I can I can tell you that right now. That is a shame. I mean, with the two draws with uh, with them this season so far, we're probably putting two of our best performances of the campaign probably against them so far. I mean. I thought they were terrible when we played them in January, just after winter break. I thought we played okay that night, but I thought Rangers were really, really poor. Didn't really offer much in the way of a threat at all against us. Um, clearly, they're doing all right in Europe. As it turns out, Borussia Dortmund, that Bundesliga is the right farmer's league, as it turns <laughs> out. <laughs> my, my nan just got signed by Mountain Gladbach. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be on English football Twitter now. Yeah, there we go. That's the one. Um, 
but you know, at home domestically, their their forms not great. Obviously, a two two draw at home today with Motherwell a one one draw against United last week. It's fair to say, I think if you're organised against this Rangers team, you can you can stifle them. And there's things you can attack in their defending right now, especially. Um, they've stumbled upon this idea that when they defend set pieces, that Morelos is the free man in the center of the mid center of the box. And I've seen they've conceded a whole bunch of goals from that, but they haven't changed it. So if we happen to have any of the Alan Russell formulas just locked away in a safe somewhere, I think there's definitely opportunities to score against them for sure. Yeah, um we could we could certainly have done with some of the patter uh, corner kicks uh, yesterday. Um that's kind of lacking. Although you could probably you could probably like fling Montgomery like a frisbee, like uh, a corner. That might work. <laughs> might find some use for him that way. Um sorry, I, I, I'm I'm gonna be very careful what I say about FC Ibrox twenty twelve because um I always find that it transcends the pitch uh, to my uh, belief that they're fundamentally a toxic and awful part of Scottish society. But um, uh, I hope we gub them and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> that's that's the new sound bite right there. <laughs> well, you just want to just go down and put up a fight, make it difficult for them. I think Gary was right, but Audrey, they didn't really play with any sort of intensity. They didn't really put us under a huge amount of Pressure, so you kind of hope you can go down, especially even if they've dropped points today. Who knows what happens midweek? If you could go down, make life difficult for them, even get a goal early, I mean, the place is just going to cave on them and that's just going to ratchet up the pressure. And you would hope that that's something we could enjoy, thrive on, and um, you know, maybe make the most of that. You really just want to, especially if we, we've had decent results against them playing relatively. Sort of slowly and being kind of passive, which is how it felt a lot of the games were under glass. So by my probably flawed logic, if we're a little bit more direct and we're a little bit more intense, surely you've got to have just as good a chance, if not better, of actually getting something and putting them under the pressure. Because if you actually go at them a little bit more, surely that's got to give us a better chance than maybe how we have handled, especially the It felt like we kind of sat off them a little bit and were able to capitalise the fact that they didn't really come at us. So... Hopefully Goodwin will get them fired up and we can just go down and actually put in a, a decent performance. And if you could get, it'd probably take a point, if you could get something more out of that, uh, that'd be excellent. I think um, I think we're really, we were hard done by um, at home. Um, yeah. I think we, we threw away two points. I think that um, Bates was uh, very hard done by at Ibrox. Um, it was never, ever a penalty. Um, and uh, I thought he'd had a, a very, you know, a decent match, and um, I, I really felt for him because. Uh, but I think I don't think they actually drew any ire because nobody thought that he was at fault for that, um, the penalty that Rangers were awarded. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think we've been very unlucky against them. Um, but I think we were unlucky at Ibrox, but uh, at Pataji, I think that we were um, we didn't have the. I don't know, we didn't have the, the gumption maybe to actually take the game to them properly and take the chances that we created. Um, and I think one defensive lapse uh, was the only thing that I would really be upset about, apart from the finishing, like uh, when we were at home against them. So I think there, there's definitely no reason to believe that we shouldn't come away with at least something. We keep playing them at sort of strange points, don't we? Because like the first game... Ibrox, we were in terrible form and 
I think like half of our team were decimated with injuries or or whatever it was, and we went and put in a really good performance. And yeah, barring um, the powers of John Beaton's refereeing, we probably come away with that game with a, a win. Likewise, the return leg at Pataudry, I think we, again, we weren't in great form. Ryan Hedges gets wiped out. Kevin Clancy just, you know, looks the other way, shall we say, and they go up the other end and score straight away. And yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't impressed with them then either. So um, I'll just say, same as what I said about Hearts, nothing to be afraid of. And I think we can definitely go there and get a result for sure. And I wonder as well if we might benefit from the fact that they, we play them on the Saturday. They have the first leg of their Europa League uh, last 16 is it last 16 tie pretty sure it is um, against Red Star Belgrade on the Thursday uh, I wonder if they go into that game with maybe one eye potentially on that fixture as well for them they, they are going well in Europe it's, it's fair to say and as much as it pains me to say that was actually a, a pretty ridiculous result they got against Dortmund over two legs albeit Haaland not playing will have helped that massively it's fair to say do we potentially like I say maybe benefit from the fact they go into that game with maybe one eye on that Red Star Belgrade fixture. I've lost count of the number of times I've heard us say Rangers Celtic play Team XYZ in Europe on Thursday before or after, so we'll benefit and we get pumped. So uh, can't really <laughs> say a buy into that. I think maybe more interesting will be what happens on Wednesday if they drop points to... Well, they're at St. Johnston. St. Johnston, I think Celtic are at home to St. Mirren, I want to say. Yeah. So you'd probably assume Celtic win that, so... Takes them, what, five, six points potentially clear. Um, I think for Rangers, the league will probably be the big thing. So I think they'll do all, all they can to stop Celtic winning it. I think that's more than enough to have talked about them. Um, predictions for next Saturday. Always difficult to do these like a week out. We don't know what's going to happen on Wednesday night or any of that good stuff. But what are we thinking? Uh, well, Jet's going to have a screamer of a game against Hearts and he's going to score the winner against Rangers. On FIFA, in in your game, no, on, no, Jet doesn't even make it into my FIFA squad. Um, yeah, he doesn't get that far. I'm I'm gonna, I'm going to say one one with some questionable refereeing to allow them back into it. Jim Goodwin goes to four hundred percent. I like it. <laughs> um, I think if we somehow manage to get a referee from another country, uh, <laughs> we could win it. Uh, one nil, uh, but yeah, I would say that uh, the most likely, given the rest of the season, is a, a score and draw against them. So probably one one one. And yeah, I think I've managed to not get myself into too much trouble on that section. There we go. Well done. Nice, Gav. If we if we ignore the toxic part of Scottish society part, then I'm sure we'll. Well, I mean that's just dealing in facts, so it's fine. That's very true. Yeah, I said one nil. Yeah. Get. Oh, you said one nil. Sorry, I missed yeah. that completely. I was too busy falling off my seat at the suggestion. Um, I'm just going to try and find out who the ref is if it's been announced yet, because we are due. We've not had beaten. Robert or... Madden is surely on our agenda. Quite. I was gonna say, we've not had beaten or Madden for a long, long. Time. We've got Steve McLean on Wednesday night at Tynecastle. So I mean, I mean, he's another useless one. So that's good. Uh, next week's not out yet, unfortunately. So yeah, we are we're due. One of the two Chuckle Brothers. So. <laughs> Fuck knows. To be revealed at a later date. 2-1 Aberdeen. I'm going to go with 2-1 Aberdeen. Ramirez, Connor Barron gets his first goal. I might change my prediction, actually. I'm going to say 1-1. But we'll be denied a winning goal by VAR, which doesn't exist in Scotland. 
<laughs> the referee just goes to the side, making the <laughs> movements. Some boy on the sideline with Rangers TV on his mobile phone. Right. Someone's watching it in the light and has phoned them. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break. We will bring you part two of our exclusive in-depth interview yeah. with 2014 League Cup yeah. winner Mark Reynolds. Can I say one last thing? Of course you can. I would like to sincerely apologise to David Bates um, because um, <laughs> he is a player who has, and uh, this is sincere, I think he has a, 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 a talent for, for football and he's shown that and I have been quite harsh on him and I have got some cheap jokes out of his performances and it's not very nice. Um, so, yeah. I, I'm sorry, sincerely, and I feel like I totally an asshole you've got on your podcast this week. <laughs> this is what it's all about. There we go, David. The apology is is out there. Um, I'm sure that David Bates will take you up on, on that one. To place out this half... Jackie McNamara, a... I'm not sorry. I'm not apologising Jackie McNamara. <laughs> Fuck him, Lanker. Place out this half, it's a certain broken chanter with the single... Allow Yourself from the latest album, Catastrophe Hits. You buy the album on CD or Gatefold Vinyl. It's a lovely, lovely green, the vinyl. Our copy arrived not long ago. Beautiful stuff. You get that over at brokenchanter.com or available digitally at brokenchanter.bandcamp.com. It's Jim Layton Green. That's the one. I couldn't remember how you described it. Also, come, come and see me and the band play at the Tunnels in June. And uh, yeah, so that's the 10th, 10th of June. It's one of those days. We'll get the dates out when we, when we celebrate. Still being a premier uh, club, that's what we can do. All of a can. We've beaten Kilmarnock in the playoff final, <laughs> and we'll all pay tribute to Mark McGee for allowing that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, David. It's been a pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much. Here's Broken Chanter with Allow Yourself.
home Your breath in the window as you drowse along Too many missed calls on a fractured phone Nobody said it would be This episode of the ADZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Goodfield Coffee. Goodfield Coffee is the only place that you can get your hands on fantastic specialty coffee and support some great causes at the same time. Goodfield Coffee aims to raise awareness of the importance of having a good feel, checking yourself for testicular cancer and breast cancer, whilst also checking in on your friends and family's mental health by asking, how have you been? All of the Goodfield coffees are single origin from the very best coffee producing regions in the world and your purchases will help raise funds for Mind, the Oddballs Foundation and Copperfield. Order online at goodfieldcoffee.com or check them out over on your usual social media channels at Goodfield Coffee. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Time now for part two of our two-part interview with a man who joined Aberdeen on loan in January 2012, going on to sign a permanent contract a year later, going on to make 237 appearances in total, scoring seven goals in red, placing him 63rd on the all-time AFC appearance list, tied with AFC Hall of Famer Peter Weir. He's a 2014 League Cup winner. It's Danger Man, Mark Reynolds. Yeah, we're better in the attacking threat. Niall McGinn's hit the ground running. Yourself and Russell, you've significantly improved the defence, um, only conceding 43 goals that campaign, which was the second lowest tally in the league. And you yourself made 41 appearances with Russell making 35. And I think we, the three of us, can testify that having a consistent central defensive partnership that didn't leak goals was something of a novelty. So it was uh, much appreciated from our end. On a personal level, were you happy with your, your own performance that campaign? No, I was delighted again, just glad to be back playing, been involved, enjoying my football. And I, as I say, just just that loving playing again and, and playing at a good club that had kind of aspirations to go and do well. And again, as I've always said, enjoy playing under pressure. I enjoy playing for a club that isn't happy with just existing or kind of 
one here or there or we'll do like a club that wanted no we want to be competing and we want to be seen as one of the big boys in Scotland and, and that appealed to me and uh, as I said I was always kind of walking down the corridors seeing the success the club had had and thinking you know there's a, there's no reason why we can't go and do that to some extent so they're just happy to be there been enjoying it and, and have a, a contract that would allow me to kind of put those kind of plans in place and, and get um, hopefully get the team being a bit more successful than it had been in previous seasons yeah, um, as is, the, the season ends up petering out a little bit, especially, I think, too many draws that um, really hurt the, the league position. I think Aberdeen finished eighth. And then on the 14th of March, uh, it was announced that Craig Brown had taken the decision to retire at the end of the campaign, uh, but indicating he would step aside sooner if a suitable replacement was found. Did that news come as a surprise to the to the dressing room, or did you have a sort of a feeling that maybe that's the way it was going to go? I think, I think, I mean, from what I can really hear, there was always that kind of feeling. I think he'd kind of, he'd done what he came to do. He'd steadied the ship. And as you say, there was loads of draws that kind of, were, were, again, Craig was always, look, would be solid. But we were kind of the opinion, look, we'd be better winning four and losing one than drawing five games and remaining undefeated. Because I think that season we went an unbelievable run. I think it was like 12, 13 games we didn't, we didn't lose. But yeah. loads of draws. So it was like, it was almost that false confidence because you're thinking, no, we're going great. We're not being beat, but... I mean, like other teams like St Mern would have lost four and then won the rest of them and were actually much better off than we were. So you, you, you kind of feel it coming. But again, as I said, Craig's very switched on and could see it coming. And I think it was Archie who said one day, look, Craig's jumped before he was pushed. And he kind of saw it was coming. And again, sees his value and sees that he doesn't want it to end up Aberdeen by him getting sacked and no return. He's, he's still a huge value there and, and could do that from a position where it was outside the kind of manager's job and and as he's done step to side and and was still there for Craig Brown to get advice off and still there for the chairman and, and all the other ones to dip into a guy who's got vast experience in football to to kind of help move the club on to the next level. And just eleven days after um Craig announces he's gonna go, it's announced that Derek McInnes and Tony Doherty are going to come in. They take charge for the final set of fixtures in the post split that year. What was your initial impressions of Derek and Tony when they came in for those first games? Great, no, I really, really excited. Kind of again, saying all the right things, doing all the right things. Kind of just young, fresh ideas. And as I say, Craig come in instead of the ship, and, and Derek comes in and, and his ideas and what he wanted to do. And and again, similar to Craig, developed his eye on the bigger picture and on everything. He was, you know, I mean, the training ground, the what we were eating, the the chef that was cooking the food, the bus that we were getting to train, the hotels we were staying in, the pre like everything, and. Uh, he can, I think he came in and saw the potential that was there and also saw there was loads of easy wins he could get right to start. And kind of right from day, day one, he always backed the boys, backed the players and kind of said, look, if you want me to be successful, here's what I need, here's what I expect. And it was always the kind of the best for us. And, and when you've got a manager that's always fighting your corner like that, then, then uh, there's very little you can complain about. And when they came in, did they give you a kind of indication early doors that you were very much going to be part of the kind of first team as far as they were concerned? Or was it more a case of everyone had to prove themselves? I think, yeah, I think just almost just kind of, it was a clean slate for everybody and just go and, and prove. And again, I was still of the opinion that I still back myself. I think in football you need, and I was thinking, you know, I'll, I'll play and I'll, I'll be fine. And uh, I, 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 it kind of transpired that way that I went in and played and done really well. And I think it was the, the kind of January, February time, Derek pulled me um, for a meeting. So we'd, I'd signed in the, the January, I'd, so I signed like a four and a half year deal. Yeah. So, that was, so I still had three and a half years left in my deal and Derek pulled me in and uh, he was just saying, look, I'm loving what me, you've done great for me, he says, but he says, I've always, as a manager, I always want 
my team moving my players. He's like, I want, I don't want any playing that I've no sign. And I'm thinking, where is this going? Like, I've got three and a half years. <laughs> yeah. He's going to say, look, I want to bring somebody else in. He's like, so he says, I know you're here. He says, I know you've got a long term deal. He's like, but I want to give you a new contract. He's like, I want you to sign another, a new deal in another year. And I'm thinking, perfect. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, in that January, there was like five or six boys out of contract that he hadn't really spoke to. Who had like three, four months left in the deal, didn't know what was happening. And I went out of his office, I was a guy from here. I was like, what's what you saying? You do like, no, he's like, you've got three and a half years left. Like, why do you need a new deal? I was like, look, I don't know, but I'm happy to sign it. So, uh, I, so I signed another four and a half year deal, like a year after I just signed one. So that was, and that, again, that was his indication that, uh, and that was his way of saying it, which you couldn't say to any more player. You're my player. I've signed you. I've gave you the contract. I want you to be here. So, and, he, and again, that was kind of, he'd done that with all the boys he wanted to be around. So I, again, there's always that, as you say, when a new manager comes in, there's always that kind of uncertainty. Does he want me here? Because I could have sat on that and, and thinking, I don't know if this guy wants me, but he's stuck with me. So I've got three and a half years left, so he's not going to get rid of me. So he needs to kind of just either, at least act as though he wants me around the place, but he, he kind of recognises, he's no, look, I want you here and, and here's the deal, we prove it. So I, we, we, that was kind of him kind of setting his stall out and uh, went on and, and played well. I think, I, I think that was the year I, I got player of the year for them as well. In addition to signing Mark Reynolds to a new four and a half year contract, Derek McInnes also went about recruiting a number of players in the summer, um, bringing the likes of Willow Flood and Barry Robson to I think bring some real, some experience and some real steel into the into the centre midfield area to complement the settled defence of yourself and Russell Anderson. We've had the pleasure of speaking with, with Willow Flood on this show and he is an amazing character. By far and away the sweatiest man we've had on this show. To tell us your recollections of uh, sharing a dressing room with both he and by Robson, please. I, I've said, I mean, I've been asked this, but the two of them are nuts, but a completely different type of nuts. Like, and as you say, winners, like, Robo would step over his own granny to win some. Like, <laughs> he, uh, I mean, this, is, this probably sums Barry Robson up. When he stepped down from playing and became a coach, we would, he would still dip in and out of training. I mean, he still he was a good player. He played at, operated at a very high level. So if we were a man short in training, Baz would step in and play, still thinking he was the best player in the squad. And after training, would tell you things that hadn't happened. I mean, what about when I'd done that? And see, when I played that ball, he's just on my level. And I just need him. See, if he was used to playing with guys like me, he'd be, he'd be onto that. So we were playing a game, and Dale was all saying to him, like, Barry, this isn't about you. You're just making up numbers. You're just here, like, steady. So playing a game, bouncing about, bouncing about, and he absolutely smashed Shinny, Graham Shinny, like <laughs> nailed him. Shinny went down in agony, and everybody's like, Paz, what are you doing? He's like, no, no. He's like, my my uh, my studs get caught in his boots, and that's why I've caught him. <laughs> I looked down, Shinny, the new, like, they just put out the laceless Adidas boots, no, it's just like a glove. <laughs> He's like, Paz, I don't have laces. He's like, I, all right, I shouldn't have done it. I just walked off. Like, that was Baz, like, and that, I mean, he hadn't played for two years and he was still like laying it on your club captain and like just that was a level he was at. And that was him as a player, like, had to win. I've played five sides, like, if we'd done the wee stupid raises before training, he had to win. Like, just, and again, Willow was the same, just death to win. But just with, and again, the two of them would come in at half time just shooting off, like, going nuts about we need to do this better, we need to do that better, and this is rubbish, and he's rubbish, and that. And, like, I remember, I remember the same, the, the semi final when we won the League Cup. It was uh, St. Johnston at... No, was it St. Johnston at uh, Tynecastle? Yeah. And was it 3-0 at half time? 
Two. Two. So two and a half time, game's going well. Willow come in and went absolutely mental about how bad they've been playing. <laughs> this is this embarrassing. It's rubbish. And well, we shouldn't be two up and this. And we better get the finals out in the thinking. And who cares? We're two and a lot. Like, they can't really have on us. Like, we'll, we'll run over the top of them second half. But that was just the level it was at, just constantly. And then again, him and Jacko used to have tear ups in the changing room. <laughs> just, like, it just was, I just that was just how well operated. He just was never happy, just the angriest man on the planet. But then at the same time, was a great guy, chat away to him and would be like, you could sit and talk to him and like he loved his golf and you know, he loved I mean the thing with him is they loved football like they lived and breathed football and they watched everything and had their opinions in this and their opinions in that and uh, did you see this and did you see that and I'm like absolutely no I just turned up <laughs> train playing a Saturday and that's me happy but uh, I again as you say shrewd signings that we needed and kind of again an Aberdeen team that not to get too political and turn things but was signing players for that we needed and the positions we needed them, not just signing good players because they're good players and we'll fit them in or we'll, you know what I mean? You, yeah. you, you need to sign a player for a specific reason that's going to fit in your squad and do that specific job. And I think at that time, that Aberdeen team had that all over the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. If you had to pick between the two of them, who's the moaniest bastard? Well, easily. Yeah. In terms of pure moaniness. Because Robo would moan, but Willow would just moan about everything. <laughs> and then we'd moan about moaning. Right? And I sat next to him as well. So it was just like, just a constant, just groan. And, and not when you say that, and people are like, oh, he must be a horrible wee guy. He was a great wee guy. <laughs> he was brilliant. He was absolutely top on the show with us. Absolutely superb. Apart from the fact that every game he talked about was fucking shit, apparently. Uh, and again, <laughs> he, like, he talks about games, like, see, you're saying, like, how, what, would you, like he would be able to tell you, like, I mean, 10 minutes into the game, I got the ball and I put it out left to, Reynolds and then he's put up and Rod Ross Lansdowne and we clipped up and then you think like I'm like well, I don't even remember who played last week I don't even <laughs> remember like the phases of play and what led to the goal some boy some boy no he was great so uh, on the subject of uh, recruitment Michael Hector uh, also came in on loan from Reading and opening stages of that 2013-14 uh, season really sees Peter Pollitt um, sort of emerge as, as a key player uh, for Aberdeen at the start of the season can you remember what the manager's aspirations and, and targets were? Again they were always the same kind of and again Derek was very good at keeping the kind of what were aspirations were internal and it was always to be kind of competing in the top four for Europe and win a trophy and that, that, was, that never changed through his full time at the club it was always we should be at least kind of top four, at least. And again, when Rangers in the league, we were saying for a number of years and it was kind of, there was always a talk of we should be pushing them we, if we've got a chance of winning this league. But again, that that's that's obviously talk you can't really, which is bad, so you can't really publicly say that and it's more because the way the Scottish media is and it's, you know, I mean, as soon as we'd come out in a January or in a pre-season camp and they'd be like, what do you, what do you want to do the season? And we'd be like, well, it's only really Celtic in the league. We want to try and win it. We'd have been absolutely crucified that they've been all over the papers back pages and who do we think we are so it was just kind of almost a look again that siege mentality and again they always used to speak about it when Fergie was a manager in terms of kind of creating that us against them and it was almost that look we'll do what we're doing we'll keep we'll keep our aspirations and what we want to do internally and we'll fight for each other don't bother about MDLs and we'll kind of take kind of account of where we're at at the end of the season so that was always the aspirations were always to be at the top end of the league pushing and and as it was trying to win a trophy, which we obviously wanted to do every season. 
to further reinforce the point of how much Derek McInnes valued you, Mark, um, he also appoints you vice captain to Russell. Now, you've said you're a Motherwell man, but you know you know the size of Aberdeen. I'm taking it that was a pretty proud moment for you. That was. I Again, it's, um, I've, I've been lucky enough that most clubs I've been at have all the armband or, or kind of deputised for the captain. So, no, as it's, again, like you look at the kind of guys that have captained and all the armband at Aberdeen and, and there's a few unbelievable players and, and legends of the kind of Scottish football and world football and that. So, no, it was a huge honour. But again, it, it was, I've always kind of said that I've never really been one that, that's changed as a captain or a vice captain. I've always kind of been me. I've always kind of, I like to have an influence. People always say I'm, I'm too nosy for my own good, but I like to know everything that's happening. I like to know kind of what's going on behind the scenes, what's happening, and try and keep that kind of cohesion in the changing room. So maybe that's kind of qualities that you would see in somebody that you'd have as a manager or a, or a, a sorry, as a, a captain or a vice captain. So it was, it was nice to get that recognition. And, and as, as I say, I think that season as it transpired, Russell was kind of injured more than he was fit. So I, I got the chance to, to wear the armband. And I used to joke with him because... I used to say I get to do all the good bits. The best bit of being a captain is wearing the armband and leading the team out on a Saturday and, and all the other jobs, the organising tickets and organising dues and everything else that goes along with all the kind of admin stuff, Russell had to still do that. So <laughs> that was the, the perfect scenario and was probably at that time better than being the actual captain. <laughs> the road to the League Cup final starts, Aloha at home um, in the League Cup second out. An absolute shocker of a game of football. Um winds its way to penalty kicks and it falls to a certain centre-half to stick the winning penalty away. Danger man, Reynolds steps up again. Your, your thoughts as you were stepping up to take that penalty? So there was there was thoughts before it because um, I don't know if it was the sixth or the seventh penalty or the eighth. I think were six. So the, obviously the first five guys who got up are all... And he, again, I, I, I don't mind taking penalties. I always back myself. And I used to take them when I was younger when I was going under the moniker of Danger Man. And... Uh, <laughs> So I, I don't mind it. I've always taken penalties. Um, but as the centre-half, who's not really known for being like silky and like, whipping balls about, it was always like, nah, you can just wait at the, t- the kind of tail end of the order. And uh, we got the first through the first five and uh, it got to the sixth penalty. And I don't know if there's been injuries or with a man off or what it was, but it felt either me, Calvin Zola or Greg Wilde to take the sixth <laughs> penalty. And Greg Wilde and Calvin Zola were having some sort of kind of moonwalk competition on the, the kind of centre circle as who could get further away from the goal. And I was like, I'll take it. Like, I'll take the next one. I'll take the next one. Thinking, God help us if this goes further. And Because uh, at that point, they'd missed. So we knew if I scored, we were through. Yeah. So, I, so it was kind of up to me. And I, and I remember just thinking, like, just pick a side because he's expecting you to go down the middle because he's obviously thinking centre-half is just going to smash it. So I just went up and I stroked down to the kind of keeper's right and the rest was history. That just kind of laid the foundations. That was probably the key moment of the full cup run. In all seriousness, right, everyone looks at Adam's penalty in the final, but yours is just as crucial, in effect, because... More, probably more so. i tell you what as well, right, for any Aberdeen fan in the ground that night, Aberdeen's record in the seasons running up to that and penalty shootouts against lower league opposition was fucking abysmal. Joking. And Aloha had done a good job that night, Paul yeah. Hartley obviously had done really well organised that evening and uh, played well and I, I remember sitting there thinking there's a good chance that we're heading out here and, and obviously you didn't know that you didn't know that I was called Danger Man Reynolds stepping up so you're thinking oh, I've got set a half taking this <laughs> crucial penalty I think I was more concerned about Calvin stepping up to be honest but never mind <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, I mean it is it's one of those it, it does it does lay that foundation towards uh, towards that final Gav I'll let you uh, I'll let you take on from now Yes, yeah, so we move on and then we find ourselves back to your old stomping ground, Fir Park. 
for the quarterfinal and just tell us your thoughts when when big Joe Shaughnessy gets sent off with in the opening 13 minutes of that one I believe Graham was there that night but actually was I was as was I neither Graham or I were in the ground at this point uh, still still queuing to get in to find out there were a man down and wondering why we're queuing to get in now <laughs> um, but I'm glad we persevered because I don't know how, how was it like how early did he get sent off was it like 13 10? minutes in I, I was going to say 10 15 minutes because I mean, what, I mean, what a tackle it was. It was like <laughs> some sort of Bruce Lee film. Like, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's the most kind of blatant red cards you've probably ever seen in football. But the first 10 minutes, we were poor. Like, we just didn't get going at all. We were kind of just I kind of plotting about. And you're thinking, we're not in this game at all. And then Joe, as I say, sends like a bat out of hell, just kind of tries to end one. Of, and it just galvanised the whole team. <laughs> just kind of, it was the weird, it like, then we're going to say that after the game, he was almost saying, like, I really should be, you should really be getting battered here, Joe, but probably not down to you that we actually won that tie. And everybody just kind of upped it, everybody just kind of upped up performances. And it was, all, I mean, and it wasn't even as if it was like, you know, sometimes you get a decision against you, like a man sent off, and it's like, you feel an injustice, and you're like, you know what, we'll show him. But we didn't even have that because it was, it was the most blatant red card you've ever seen. But it was almost just like, no, let, let, let's just, let's just get going and let's just kind of dig Joe out a wee bit of a hole here. And uh, I would just kind of lift him. We played well. We played better with 10 men than we'd started with the 11. And we actually played quite well. And, and uh, was it to finish two? Was it two now? Two, two nil, yeah. Johnny Hayes. Johnny Hayes kind of breaks away at the end. Yeah. And scores. And again, again, a great goal. So, aye, again, a great result. And you're kind of thinking privately yourself. You're thinking a wee bit of this. I remember saying to my wife after the first game, I was like, these are the games, this is how you win a cup. You scrape through in penalties against Aloha. And then, you kind of you go to Motherwell and you kind of it goes against you, but you somehow get a win. It's just like this is a story. Like this is always a story they tell after it. It's just like this could be. You know, I mean, we could actually do something here. But the biggest thing was that it was, I was saying, see, Alo beating in penalties. It's like everything after that game, no chance. We've got no chance. But when you look at most cup runs, there's always a game like that where it's they've been absolutely toilet like, get through and going to lift the trophy. So uh, yeah, so following on from that. Um, a combination of Joe's uh, red card and his suspension and Michael Hector being recalled by Reading means that a, a certain Shay Logan rocks up at Pataudry a day before the semi-final at Tynecastle and uh, seems to be a player that you just can't escape now that you've linked up with him uh, again at Cove. You maybe just tell us a little bit about Shay and what he brought to the dressing room on his arrival. I know you could spend <laughs> a full podcast talking about Shay Logan. It's just an absolute... <laughs> In the nicest sense of the world, just an absolute idiot, a boy. Like, he's just <laughs> nonsense. Like, just full of nonsense. And, like, get an example of Shea Logan, right? When I was, obviously, signing at Cove, kind of, I spoke to him a couple of times. I was still trying to sort stuff out with Dundee United. It's just she texted me saying, all right, geez, what's happening? No heard from him in months. And uh, I just texted him back saying, busy man, I'll fill you in one day. Hour later, turned up at my door, chapped the door, and they came. <laughs> I was like, Shay, what are you doing? He's like, what's happening, geez? Just sat down in my living room. That's Shay, like, that was him. Like, just doesn't hold back. Like, he's just, doesn't really care what people think about him. Like, he's just full of, like, absolute nonsense. And I, as I say, just, it's one of a kind. And we had done well for us. We was, you know, at that time, come in and just confident, kind of pushing forward, scoring goal, creating chances. And again, hit the ground running for us that he, he kind of came at a semi-final what we won and he's straight in a final and then he's in a team that's kind of going well in the league as well so he was and I just I didn't thought that this was what it was all about and it was dead easy and 
he was talking to his big mate Mika Richards that he came through and all the Man City boys and they just <laughs> bore off she but now he's a, guy, he's a good lad and a boy as you say I can't get rid of him I'm now putting up with the thing is I've obviously heard all these stories so now when I'm in the changing room at Cove he kind of needs to be quiet because I know and any, <laughs> any of the stories he's telling about Aberdeen I know they're made up because I was there the full time he was there so he needs to be I'm on I've got a story to tell you but we'll go next door so he can't hear it <laughs> And uh, speaking of another arrival, so I think, as you say, a lot of the pieces were put in place, but maybe the one thing we were lacking was a real number nine. You know, Calvin Zola didn't really ever get going. You know, um, Scott Vernon, very good player for Aberdeen, but maybe not scoring quite as regularly as we want. Uh, so yeah, in January, Adam Rooney is brought in. Please tell us what Adam brought to both the dressing room and the side overall, in your view. Just a just dry, dry sense of humour. Just let's self deprecate or whatever you want to call it. That I was just like, just a, a great guy, but just took a while to get going. But I think his biggest, kind of, not his biggest weakness, but the, the biggest thing he had going against him was that Johnny Hayes obviously knew him well and had played with him. So he couldn't have just kind of sink in and take his time to bed in. We knew what we were getting him, we knew what type of guy he was, and we kind of, he, he kind of almost got to hit the ground running. But again, I remember when we signed Adam, obviously, been texting Johnny saying, No, it's happening. And, the kind of the, the kind of higher ups at Aberdeen that were signing him, I think with Tony Dock maybe was in. We were in the the canteen eating breakfast, and uh, I was saying, is, "Is Rooney Adam Rooney training was today?" And he's like, "Didn't we talk about it?" Well, like, Rooney signed today. He's like, "No," but Rooney's hundred percent signed today. He's like, "No, he's not." We're having this conversation, this back and forth, where he's just stonewalling us, and Adam Rooney just walked in the canteen and went to the toilet, <laughs> <laughs> and we were like. What? It was that he's like I don't know and just walked out the room. <laughs> that was just kind of introduction of we've never heard no idea if he's signing to him. I've been in the toilet relieving himself and then I he was in and just I say hit the ground running and was the goal scorer we needed and created that kind of front three of Adam, Johnny, and Niall that we get so much success and enjoy through. And that semi final against uh, St Johnson at Tynecastle, talk us through I guess your recollections of the day and can you remember was at any point. In that second half, once we're three or four up, we're actually able just to kind of take a bit of a step back and savour the kind of atmosphere and everything that's going in. I think just as the ref is blowing the full-time whistle, you're thinking, ah, here we go, we've done it. And again, I, I know it's just when you want to, no matter how close you're at it, you're always just thinking like, the, you know, I, always, I, think, I always think, especially in Scottish football, the worst thing that you can ever imagine, something worse will happen in Scottish football. Like, it just, it's the weirdest, you know what I mean? I think like, this couldn't get any worse and then Scottish football was like, wait a minute, hold this. Watch this. So I think until it was kind of confirmed, you're just thinking. Because I mean, for as much as he was dominated that game, Langfield, Jamie Langfield pulled off some unbelievable saves as well. He two or three great saves, and then you're thinking like that. Just wee things like that again that, that went for us, and, and it looked like it was, and it was a resounding victory. And obviously getting the, the kind of going in at half time two 0 up, you're kind of thinking, no, we'll do it. But again, you've obviously got the, the monkey in your back of Aberdeen not won the trophy for so long, and. They've always just been so close to it that um, until they actually blow the whistle, you're thinking, just wait to see what happens here. So I think we just kind of enjoyed it on the bus up, but tempered we, we still need to actually go and win it now. Yeah, so following up from that result the week later, uh, it was really good that uh, 2-1 went to Parkhead in the, the fifth round of the, the Scottish Cup, which um, I think was a real, a really good, a really good performance, a real statement of intent, especially having gone down a goal um, quite early on. Uh, can you really remember much about that game? I, I, not much. I just remember us playing well. And again, I remember the kind of that feeling of you say, like, just being on a real crest of a wave and, and again, going into a game where 
I don't think we were expected to win it and, and it was a game it wasn't a game I mean you can go to Parkhead and you can win but you can kind of steal the victory or you can kind of ride your luck but I remember being in that game and feeling really com- comfortable and confident in the game and, and feeling well worth the victory and uh, again just com- and again you're now kind of pushing on in both trophies and thinking this could be a, a right good season for us that's then followed up by a 2-1 win over Celtic at Pataudry. Um, Hayes and Rooney getting the goals. I think that ended some kind of mad, unlike they had not conceded a goal for like some mad length of time, if I remember rightly. Johnny Hayes scores an absolute worldie. We've spoken to a few guys who were in and around the squad at that time, but just talk us through, like in your own words, the build-up to the final and you know yourself being an ever-present in the team. I mean, you're, you're bound to know that you're going to start. Uh, was it hard to try and keep focused on like the cup final and kind of block everything else out? I, I think a, a wee bit. I, I think obviously it's easier now that you've kind of done it and it was a few years ago and you just kind of kid on that it wasn't and you just for the consummate professional and focusing every game as it come. But you've always got an eye on it. And again, regardless if you're another present or not, like you're still expected to play. But you've got games before it where you're thinking, all it takes is a Joe Shaughnessy of mother will knee high and I'm missing this. So you kind of, there's always that. And I think, End that says they've not got an eye on its line. I mean, it's not that a perfection of performance, so you don't do certain things, but you're, you're certainly in the back of your mind. And you, again, it's, it's one of the things you can't not think about it. Um, so you, you, again, we're just looking forward to it. And again, that huge expectation and the club had waited so long for it. And uh, everybody kept saying it was 25 years, whatever it was, without a trophy and club like Aberdeen. And saying it's just that was just building and building and building. And you just, I, I almost just want to to uh, to get to the game. And I think I'm sure we went away. Derek McInnes always used to take us away. We used to go kind of St Andrews or um, like kind of camps before it just to get out of the city because I think he appreciated just the kind of pressure keg that Aberdeen turned into before these games and you couldn't go anywhere without people talking about it. And he, I think he just thought, you know, for the week before it, get them away, get them outside, just focus on us, focus on what we're doing and we go into it kind of ready to kind of go and win. So what was the manager's message before the game? Just go and, go and win. Um, maybe maybe a pretty basic question, and I might just need a basic answer. Aye, and again, do you know what? He didn't really need a message for that game purely because, and not I don't think it was by design, but more just by the kind of occasion before it, the the fact that it was Parkhead. Obviously, they got so many tickets, and the way the tickets got allocated, we ended up pretty much having the full crowd being ours. Um, even just the build up before it, the kind of, and again, that's his. I, 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 I can't think if it was that game or before but it was it was almost kind of we got to a stage we just started embracing the pressure and started kind of we would play montage in the bus going to it of the kind of previous rounds and the goals and winning and defenders making tackles langers making saves and kind of almost saying look we are a good team like we deserve this trophy like but going we don't get what you deserve in football you get what you go and take so go and take it and uh, just from getting on the bus and just feeling that and again adrenaline is a hell of a drug as they all say like the high adrenaline is incredible but you need to ride that for the full day and I don't know if you've ever been an adrenaline high but the, the low that comes after that you don't want that hitting you at any point during the 90 minutes because you're dead in your feet so it's it's that kind of balancing act as a player of kind of drinking that in but no drinking it in too much and still having the energy to go and perform and again feeding off the crowd but not kind of too much so getting on the bus driving into Parkhead and again the streets were just kind of swarmed and Aberdeen fans and you get to the stadium and the place is absolutely outside the ground is swarming with Aberdeen fans 
and you can feel that. You can feel the atmosphere. You can feel the buzz going in and then getting warmed up and it being busy. And then, as I've said before, walking out and the display that was put on was unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> you probably can't remember what Denton County's team dot was because that is your overriding memory of just kind of like us having the whole stadium. And I mean, they had, I, think they had, I don't even remember this. It felt like they had a tiny wee corner at the right hand side of the tunnel. But yeah. just kind of that display, just seeing that, and I think their players seeing that thinking, this isn't a, I mean, this isn't a fair fight here, there. And then the next 90 minutes, just forgetting about that because it was absolutely chronic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and the half hour that came afterwards as well. I mean, I think, I think I would rather have been involved in one of Mark McGee's running sessions than watching that game again, personally. 100%, aye. Let's, uh, let's just go to the critical point. So the penalty shootout, um, Cali missed their first two and it's as comfortable a penalty shootout as you could probably ever expect. Um, do you know where you were in the lineup? Had uh, had it needed to go a bit further? I was. I was going to say I was after me and the rest of the boys were all after Rooney. Every single one of us was the next penalty. So I, <laughs> I, I think I was well down there. But you know what? Derek McKenzie was the first manager that ever can I've ever done it. So we practice penalties all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, and he always, and you'll see it. You'll be able to pull up clips from all over the internet. Every time he got asked about penalties, he was just, I don't believe it's luck. He's like, you can practice yeah. penalties. So every time yeah. we did a cup final, a semi final a game that could go to penalties, we would all go, after training, we'd all go to the centre circle. Him, he would go to one goal, Tony Dot would go to the other goal. They blow the whistle, you'd come down, they blow the whistle, you take the penalty. And you practice it and get used to that, get that committed to that routine. And we'd done it loads. And to be fair, I used to score more than much more than I missed, but I was still about eighth or ninth in the order. <laughs> but uh, just getting used to it. And again, you look at the penalty, or the penalty takers, that's probably the most confident I've been getting a penalty shout, looking at the guys for taking them. All accomplished. I mean, like Nicky Lowe, come on and play in that game. Nicky Lowe is an absolute wizard. Yeah. Again, a guy going up with the probably fans sitting thinking, why are we sending this wee guy up? Slotted it away. Especially when they did a two-stepper as well. Aye. Like, that's backed himself. And Craig Brown used to say, if, if football was five aside, Nicky Lowe would be like the Scottish Ronaldo or Messi. Like, he's that good. Just doesn't like running about. But in terms of playing football and spraying a ball about, he's one of the best you've seen. So he's going up. You've got Rooney. And with Scotty Vern, Barry Robson going up, who's just an absolute cannon in left foot. So confident going into it. And then obviously, Danger Man Reynolds and the one after Rooney, just after. in case we needed the, 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 uh, to secure the victory. And as it is, we, we don't need you. We don't need that left foot here. You don't locked away for the next the next campaign. <laughs> Can you remember your just your emotions when Adam's one hits the back of the net? Just, just pure delight. Just absolutely hit the roof. Um, and just I think we were just running it was a picture of, of, of five years of the line is just fighting to get to him first and leaving Langers who'd saved <laughs> away <laughs> self just to celebrate <laughs> just all made a beeline for me and just again that was kind of that was the first time we could properly enjoy it and you think thank God and again that I would I'd only been involved with Aberdeen for a few years so I can imagine the feeling the guys like yourselves and the chairman and that sitting in the crowd thinking finally we've actually got a bit of silver over well, my hangover had kicked in by that point this was my stag day um, and the game went on for so long like I said I think all of our hangovers just kicked in midway through extra time that's how long that game went on for <laughs> the celebrations and the team's coach journey home to Aberdeen they've become almost mythical <laughs> in Aberdeen folklore already Willow Flood is adamant that this is basically his favourite moment in football is that coach ride home I've got two questions for you about this. One, how much did you stiff Barry Robson for on the booze run? And two, what was your karaoke song? So I, the, 
the first one, so we stiffed him for a fortune. Like, so he he did a, he had to pay a fine, like a couple hundred pound fine, and uh, but I can't even remember what it was for. So when we got up as well, that journey, so there was a road, a really bad road accident. Right. Else, the traffic was horrendous. So we were on a bus for ages, and literally there was so much. I mean, I don't drink, and I didn't drink on that. I done a few shots, but I didn't drink. Which you can make it that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't drink and I've never been drunk but I've done about 40 shots so I was probably <laughs> as drunk as I was ever going to be um, so we got up we were just I go mental passing the karaoke hang around just singing whatever song was on just nonsense and I don't remember my, I remember having the mic for a good while but I don't actually and again we're sober don't remember one word of what was sung I, in fact I do with Scotty Vernon used to have a song and we were singing that um, the whole for about an hour and a half because Nicky Weaver was there as well. Aye. And he had the mic. And Nick, uh, Nicky Weaver's one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet. And he had that mic. And it was like a comedy set. And he was just going off. So that was just kind of... Me- the bus was just mental for the whole time. And uh, we got to... We ended up having to stop. Like, I can't even remember. Uh, a Tesco or something. I don't even remember where it was. Livingston or something. And uh, then kind of just like, right, Barris, you get the... You get the... Uh, you get the car out. You can top it up for the boys. So about 10 is steamed off the bus and I got the trolley and I was pushing the trolley around. So we were just firing everything in and boys were obviously getting like, their own carry out and I was like, put it in the trolley, put it in the trolley. So it was like, <laughs> it up in about like a good six, five, six hundred pound. But Robert was just buzzing that we'd won and he was just like, not a problem. Give it, boom, card, away we went and back on the bus. And uh, <laughs> we got to, I suggest, and it was forever. And then we got to, it was the Markcliffe we went to, but we met with families and stuff. And uh, Tony Talk, they were all like steaming. Like, if you've been at Magaluf with your pals, like four o'clock in the morning, nobody can stand up. Like, worse than that, <laughs> Tony Talk Tony was like cheerleader of this. So he's he's got to the middle of the bus at the front and he's like, I got the mic. He's like, all right, guys, I know, I know everybody's excited, but when he calm down, He's like, Sky Sports are here, the national media is here. They're all expecting us, they want to see us, we don't want to make a fool of ourselves now. So from here to begin to the room, just try and keep a can on it. And don't let nobody needs to see we're drunk. And as he was talking, we got there and the bus stopped and he just killed and just clapped straight back face <laughs> before and was out. He was like, like, this guy's giving us a talk about how not that drunk and he can't even stand up. <laughs> so I would get in and then we the, obviously the reception with our family and stuff, and it just kind of continued from there and continued for days and days uh, one of the vid- one of the things I'll never forget I never there I saw the video Nicky Lowe Joe Shaughnessy a few other boys were out having a, a sing song and the police ended up turning up and they ended up they ended up getting lifted but it wasn't like they get moved into the police van and with the van open and they were like standing up like just orchestrating like crowds of people like they were all just going mental and the police were just like as if they were like stewards for it just watching it happen so uh, the whole city was absolutely buzzing. And uh, and again, and then I was doing my engineering degree at that time. And uh, I was at uni like a week after it. And I just used to try and sit and like keep myself, myself and my hood up. And I was thinking, like, I'm getting away. And nobody's really known that it's me doing this. And there was boys behind me who were still steaming from the game like two weeks ago. And uh, they were like, oh, what a day. Best day of my life. He's like, I mean, and I was like, I mean, what about the tickets? He's like, we probably had a better view of that game than anybody. And the full album, he's like, obviously, except him there because he played in it. And I think, oh, God, this is not what I need. <laughs> I got away with this. And that was it. That was the start of the conversation, chatting about the League Cup. So I was, the whole city was buzzing for weeks. And then again, we had the, obviously had the parade down Union Street that was just 
Aye. Again, just explaining that to people, I think unless you were there, you can't really do justice to just the size of the occasion and the amount of people that turned up that day. It's your first major honour in your career um, on a personal level. How much did that one mean to you? And then I guess as well for Russell, he's a guy who is was Mr. Aberdeen. Could the guys in the squad just tell how much it meant to him to get a chance to lift the trophy as well? Absolutely. Uh, it was uh, huge. I think, like you say, it's my first major honour. And again, the game, as we've spoken about, was terrible, but you don't care. It's just about getting the trophy, lifting it and getting your winner's medal. So, no, just again, and I always think like, how much it meant to me, a guy who wasn't from Aberdeen, didn't really up until that point understand the full history of the club or just how long the fans were. And again, as I started saying to us as well, the issue with Aberdeen is it's a living memory. Like a lot of the guys that support it still remember the, the great, you know what I mean, the great teams and the trophies and winning as though it was, you know what I mean, it was second nature. So for the guys like Russell and that to win it, Andy Considine to win it must have been incredible because it was it was incredible for me and it's still one of the best days I've ever experienced in, in my full career. So um yeah, that's um it's enough positivity for a podcast about Aberdeen. We've we've covered the highs, so we need to move on to the lows. The, the Scottish Cup semi-final against St Johnston, so any idea what went wrong that day and how crushing a defeat was that, you know, and the sort of feeling after because, I mean, what an, what an opportunity to have done a, done the double. No, absolutely, that's exactly that. Just that, the, the, how big an opportunity it was to do the double. Um, again, just a game we never really, I think the Stevie May score, I think I remember Jacko playing right back, which was never, I mean, we always had that settled defence that, we were used to and just chopping and changing that was never great and I think Stevie May obviously scores goals coming off our right hand side and we just never really two poor goals to lose and thinking obviously you're just we were playing well we went obviously not played great in the cup but you win the cup and you've got all the kind of momentum and the, the kind of good feeling and that feel goodness about the squad and we're, we're, we're as I say before riding in the crest of the wave and to then go to that game and you're again thinking look we, we're on for the double here I and mean, we just knock Celtic out comfortably the round before and, and you always kind of say if you want to be want to win a trophy you really need to at some point put one of the old firm out of it so we'd done that we'd kind of almost done the hard bit and then just again go there don't turn up and I back to being classic Aberdeen just so close yet so far and just that hard luck story that just you get, I get absolutely fed up and again a hard luck story that we got too used to feeling over the, the coming seasons as well That season kind of stumbles to a bit of an end uh, draws against I think it was MNS St Johnston and a heavy defeat at Celtic mean that the second place finish that looked kind of kind of assured earlier in the season is going to come down a straight shootout between Aberdeen and Middle final day of the season. A, a, another dire game settled by a horrendously controversial winner from uh, Craig Reid. You're on the line, trying to bat the ball away as I recall as well. What was the reaction like in the dressing room after that one? Just especially the way it ended, because it was just so nonsensical. It's horrendous. I mean, I should and I still I mean I should have just caught the ball. I tried my best to catch it, but I should have just caught the ball and just walked towards the referee because it was it was a it was a freak. You know what I mean? It was a freak. Yeah. Almost gave him a decision to make. Eh? Aye. And again, and it was the last game of the season. If he'd sent me off, who cares? You know what I mean? At least with it, it was in. It was in the net. So just catch it, and we've got a chance to land or saving it, and maybe been a hero. And because it was that ridiculous, but I asked just Russell Anderson was like the Hulk was going mental. Because again, it's it's second place. It was European football and that, and was like had to be physically restrained from ripping really? the referee's head off. It was I and most of us felt like that. Like just again, you, and you've watched it back. Like the free kick was like twenty yards from their byline, and they they end up taking it on the halfway line. 
the but something wipes kind of wangles out, and then the stromage after it. I think like it's no way, shape, or form should have been stood. But give me kind of we should never have put it to chance. Like I should never have been put down the last game. And I think it's one of the things. Obviously, it's that huge list point if any saying, but just when it's just football. And again, you just get used to being kind of kicked. And and this was just again, as you've seen over the years, some of the refereeing decisions and some of the stuff that happens, it's just ridiculous. And when you think it can't get any worse, it, it can always get worse. At the end of that campaign, yourself and Peter Pollitt are rewarded for your fine form by being called up to the Scotland squad for the friendly against Nigeria. And you'd already represent Scotland at under 20, under 21 and, and B-side levels. How proud were you to get that initial call up? And conversely, how frustrating was it for you to not get any game time that day? Again, I will say this, like, I think you speak to him that it follows football or is involved football. You always want to play for your country. And that's that is kind of no matter what team you, you play for, a lot of people will be very, very few people will actually play for the team they support. I was lucky enough to do it at Motherwell, um, but the very few players that get that opportunity, whereas your country is your country, you know what I mean? You're, you're born Scottish, and that's the team that you will always want to represent. So, no, huge honour, and you're just delighted to go. And as you say, just to never get that chance to, to eventually step on the pitch and get a proper full cap is, is massively disappointing. But as I say, there's, there's nothing else I could have done to can influence it anymore. It was a, a kind of when you get involved in it and you're in it for so long, you're thinking it's just inevitable. But as again, that's football, and people always just say, oh, "If I got to that stage, I just wouldn't have went." Like after the first four or five, and I'm not played, I'd have just said, "I'm not coming." But you're never going to do that for your country, you know what I mean? So it, it was never, there was never a question of not going. It was always just go and, and be there and do what I'm doing. And, and, and again, it was. It was kind of reinforcement for me and Pete at that time as well that we went and that, this was the best Scotland had to offer guys in the Premiership playing in the top flight that we were comfortable, we were competing, we were holding our own and it's kind of confirmation that you're, you're good, you're a good player and you deserve to be there and, and for me to get called back over the next three or four years was confirmation that I was doing something right and that they felt as though I belonged there and just unfortunately that, as I say, I never got that chance to actually get that cap. Yeah, speaking of, you're called up again in June 2017 for the home... World Cup qualifier against England and you're on the bench for that uh, that pretty mad 2-2 draw at Hamden. Talk us through being so up close and personal um, in that atmosphere and, and being part of the setup for such a such a huge game. That was, as I say, brilliant and, and that's kind of the, the flip side. Obviously, as a professional player, you want to be involved, you want to play, you want to eat a cap, but then as a Scotland fan and somebody who is proud to be Scottish, you're just delighted to be there and doing what you can do and also... Like the guys in my college having the best seats in Hamden for that game. So, like, again, and involved in it, and involved in the build-up, involved in training. And again, Scotland and England at Hamden. And again, I think, unless you experience a game like that, there's a lot of people that say, oh, Hamden's rubbish, you know, a great atmosphere. But see, when you've been at a game like that, Hamden is rocking, like it's bouncing. And that game, I mean, the, the stands were lit, physically shaking that game. Like, it was incredible. And as you say, to be on the bench and be involved in that was, was incredible. So again, two uh, one. I think there was a few boys maybe hiding, thinking I don't want to go in here because uh, <laughs> I don't want the one that ruins the hopes of a nation. But uh, and I was probably sitting thinking that I really want this to be my debut. I go on and lose Harry Kane the back <laughs> stick and make it be. So uh, but again, just unbelievably involved in it. to be to draw two each for England at Hamden and it feel like a crushing defeat. Just kind of speaks to the level of that squad and the expectation that eventually was in that squad. So uh, on to the following season, we'll, we'll talk about the European run, specifically the return leg against uh, Real Sociedad, which was a pretty fantastic occasion. 
uh, goals from Peter Pollock and your first European goal. Um, you know, I think we probably fair to say we had the had them a little bit worried uh, at that point, but unfortunately they get a couple of late goals and they go through 5-2 on aggregate. Um, I think there was a moment in the second half where another goal for Aberdeen would have made it really, really interesting. You know, we were we were really putting them under some pressure. You'd already had experience of European football when you were at Motherwell, but did you enjoy the challenge of playing European football? I guess you get into different teams for a change, you can get a little bit, little bit monotonous in Scotland. Um, and different styles, etc. Is that something that was uh, was an appealing part of being a footballer? No, it was. It was great. And again, pre-seasons, pre-seasons are horrible. As I said earlier, you get Mark McGee's absolute chaotic <laughs> running and becoming a Mo Farah Mark II. So <laughs> it was great to have such a shot. I mean, you go back and the manager would say, look, we're only going to be able to run for a couple of weeks and we're not going to games. And you're sitting thinking, I do not see the negative here. Um we end up in, again most years I was at Aberdeen we were in Europe so it was we, we would have a few weeks off and then we, we didn't really lose our fitness so it was a couple of weeks training and then into the games and as you say going and playing different teams different styles European football which a lot of the games we played and the teams we played the style actually probably suited us and the players we had and when I, luckily enough when I was here we had some unbelievable results in Europe and again went to Groningen and, and put in an unbelievable display over there and, and get the victory there so a few massive games and, and some big scalps and just I really enjoy the games and again just obviously the European format when I was at Motherwell and we got into the, the qualifiers for Europe we played Nancy and it was two legs and if we won over the two legs we were in the we were in the group stages I think obviously this it was similar at Aberdeen when they get in the group stages um, a few yep. years ago as well but when, at this stage when we were getting it was like right play a qualifier and then you go to the next qualifier then you go to the next qualifier and then all the guys for the Champions League they're going to drop out now you get the final, and you're thinking, we're ten games before we're even at a group stage. Like it was, it was just, it just, and it still seems just so stacked against getting in. But again, just probably the biggest, or the only negative from that was just how hard it was, and that we never actually got over the line. And again, it was always like, was it Ruben Kazan or whoever it was that like teams from Kazakhstan? Nobody really heard they were thinking like, yeah. about these, and you're thinking these are massive teams who are paying big money to big players. And Coven, it would be like 2 1, or they'd just get the away goal. And it was, you know, again, obviously, Ralph Sosa had to lose to them. And as you say, we run them so close, but at least it was a team that people had heard of who were a big team with a kind of rich history. And it was almost like, yeah, we could beat Ralph Sosa, I beat as we run them close. With people, were, it was kind of they could accept that. Whereas if it was somebody who they had never really heard of, it was like, you know what I mean? Oh, we should have really been beating them. But it was just it was just a massive task. And I think to get so close so many times and just not get in that group stage was, was probably the hardest part to take. And the league campaign kind of suffers when we're adjusting to that sort of Thursday, Saturday, Thursday, Saturday schedule. But the side embark on a 13-game unbeaten run from November 23rd to February 21st, which includes an eight-game winning run and eight clean sheets in a row, uh, culminating in a 2-0 win at St Mirren. On a personal level, how much did that mean to you to have that level of success in terms of keeping the opposition out? Yeah, brilliant. As I say, I think as a defender, you always want to keep clean sheets. That's your kind of bread and butter. And again, as somebody who's come through and, and had the ground that I've had with the managers and, and kind of the education, that was always the, the main thing. Look, keep a clean sheet, let your teammates know that one goal is going to win, is it? And uh, for us to go that. And again, it, it got to stage where we were like, we we're knocking off. There was, I think there was like a European kind of, they were keeping track of the most wins in a row and the most clean sheets. And at some point, we were kind of the best team in almost European football. So it was great and, and kind of playing well and, and a team that was... And again, for us, 
there's obviously teams in Scotland that, that can go and win a cup or go and do something, but to be consistently winning and doing well every week and it's kind of the sign of a good team that, that should really be going and winning things and doing well because they can get that grind out their results week on week on week, which we will do. And during that time, Kenny McLean joined in the January transfer window and I believe it was announced that Graham Shinney had signed a pre-contract to join in the summer. How did they both settle into the squad and what did it do for the team to know that we were bringing in that kind of quality and we we're still, we'd had success, but we wanted to push further? I, absolutely. I think the kind of the signings just kind of showed where the club was going and, and it kind of showed a, a real kind of direction and it made sense. I think the signings made a lot of sense to the fans, the players, to everybody, you know what I mean? As an Aberdeen, Celtic and Rangers done it for years. We should be signing the best young players in Scotland that you know can do it in this league. There's Scott. Scottish football might have the best game, it might not be the most technically gifted, but there is a way to be successful in Scotland, there's a way to play, and you bring people in from outside it, they need to learn it. Some of them transition great and do well, and a lot of them don't. Whereas guys like Graham Shinney, who'd done it at Inverness for a few seasons, and Kenny McLean, who'd done it at St Murn, it was always going to be like a duck to water. They were going to come in, and you knew better players around about them, they would step up. And then, I guess the kind of unknown when you're signing players is you don't know what kind of personality you're getting or what kind of character. So you get two guys who were great in the changing room, lively characters and became focal points of it was just a, a bonus that you can't really foresee when you're signing the players so you know, the two of them come on and were, and were brilliant for us uh, the, the following campaign is a fantastic start uh, from the Dons it was eight wins in the bounce uh, at the start of the season and actually has us topping the table five points clear of Celtic at one point um, after a 3-1 win at Hearts but unfortunately f- for yourself you missed quite a chunk of the the start of that campaign after suffering, I think it's a bad arm injury in the opening fixture of the season, um, a one-all draw with, uh, I think, Shendaya. So I'm going to pronounce it from Macedonia. How frustrating was that for you to suffer that injury, miss out on the, the opening phase of the, the campaign, which also included the, the victory away to uh, Rijeka? No, it was. Again, injuries are the worst part of football. And I think that, for me, was kind of the start of a period where I, I, I got. I went from a full career without really missing games. I was. I was always kind of 30, 40, 50 games a year. To then, I think, and then I kind of obviously ruptured my AC joint, my shoulder, got that operated, was out with that, and then I come back and think I broke my nose and I had to get um, plastic surgery and that. No, it don't look like it, but I've actually plastic surgery twice. Um, got quite a good surgeon. Um, and again, just kind of, and then I uh, had a double hernia, then I ruptured my cruciate. So that was kind of the start for me of been in and out of the team and, and not really being that kind of mainstay I always had so it's always hard injuries are, are a horrible part of football and the manager and the team it's always about winning on the Saturday and, and as a footballer you're just kind of left on the side so that was the first time I'd really experienced it and uh, it, as it transpired it was kind of the next two or kind of three years was, was kind of marred by getting injured coming back doing all right and then getting another injury off the back here so it, it was it's, it's never nice and it's, it's, it's always I always think for me it was always much harder as somebody who always just kind of I always wanted to go to places where I was going to play and where I was going to be a kind of mainstay in the team and, and a team could build kind of found I would be the foundation which they could build upon and to not be that all of a sudden was was hard to do. In addition to that great start, um, a key part would be the recruitment of one Danny Ward from from Liverpool. How much of an influence do you think he was in the size form in the first half of the season and? Just how much of a blow was it in terms of our aspirations or chances of even being able to challenge Celtic when he was recalled uh, for his loan spell to back to Liverpool? 
I think he's, I think he's, we all saw Danny was a top top goalie, and I've been lucky enough to play with some very very good goalies in my in my career, and, and Danny's right up there. And he was again as, as you need to have at that level, you need to back yourself and be sure of yourself and come in. And, and I think as I've always experienced, the goalies that are very very good are always nuts as well. Like they're absolutely <laughs> off the wall. And Danny was like that, but he was a, a great boy and just some unbelievable performances. But and just so sure of yourself, and again just that confidence just spread right through the team. And uh, as you say, you kind of get used to that. And again, anytime we'd been successful at Aberdeen, it was when we had a, a kind of settled defence, a settled goalie, and with that consistency of selection. And to lose him kind of halfway through the season was a massive blow, considering how big some of the performances. And I mean, you see it now with Hearts, with Craig Gordon, a, a good goal is worth, is worth points to you. And that was certainly the case for Danny. So to lose him was a massive blow. And uh, as you say, you, can, you obviously see that peter out over the second half of the season. Yeah, I think like every Aberdeen fan was a bit well, I was disappointed that they, they took him back. It was more annoying that they took him back and then didn't actually do anything with him. I think if he was lucky, he sat on the bench. The odd time for the, the rest, you know, the rest of the season not like he, he it's not like they took him away from Aberdeen and then actually used him. So it was a bit disappointing around that one. Yeah, going back to yourself, uh, you you returned to the the team, I think it's a 2-0 defeat at Ross County, but then you're straight back into the team uh, week in, week out until a red card at Ross County in January, sees you miss out for a couple of weeks. But again, after suspension, straight back into the, the team and we're pushing Celtic all the way. Was there a genuine belief in the squad at that point that there really was a, a shot at actually going on and winning the league? I think at that, I think that point there probably was because we kind of that was a team that we'd, we'd most of been around each other for kind of a few years. Obviously, Derek McKinnis had been in for a few, few years and it got us playing his way and not weeded out because it makes it sound like there was bad guys there, but it kind of honed in on who he wanted to be there. We were all his players and we kind of we knew each other, but we knew what we were about as a team. We knew how we would get success and and we again we had a proven over the last few seasons. We knew how to win. We uh, we knew how to grind out results and we knew what was successful for us. So we could kind of we, we felt as though we we probably the best chance we ever had. And I think probably looking back at retrospectively, I thinking it was um, like a much bigger chance than we really thought at the time. But as a footballer, all you can do is kind of take it a game at a time. And, and at that time, we felt you know we can beat anybody. So if, if we can do that and get on a run that we'd been on before, then we'd have every right to take it right to the wire and, and uh, every chance to, to win it as, as much as Celtic did at that time. Everyone we've spoken to from that squad so far would kind of look at that game at Fair Park, 19th of March. As the turning point of the season, probably Celtic scored a last-minute winner through Rogic, a worldie at uh, Rugby Park, I think, it, which I guess puts the pressure on. And despite being a goal up, um, two goals from Scott McDonald and Louis Moult in a three-minute spell, Ends up with the game finishing a, a 2-1 defeat, a straight red card to Barry Robson um, a couple of minutes after coming on the park. Reaction in the dressing room after that one, because it, it's a real what-if season, I think. Yeah, I, and, and again, and I remember that because, as you say, it was early kickoff, and I think I remember watching the game and there'd been nothing in it, and I think Roger was like, was it, was it even in just time, potentially? That was, yeah, yeah. And again, that year, we, as you say, we'd been relentless. We'd kind of, we're getting win after win after win, and you'd come in after the games, and Celtic had won, they'd found a way to win, and just we just couldn't they just wouldn't stop and we were kind of just going blow, blow for blow with them as you say got to that kind of stage and obviously that game we knew they'd won because we'd sat and watched the game we, we'd saw them kind of the goal and you're just thinking that is and again that almost felt as though we we never really ever got that that we would never get a game where it kind of didn't go for us but we would get the result it was almost as though we had to fight for every point or three points we got 
again, again, but in the time and then I don't know if it's just the mentality. You're still thinking no, we're close enough. We still play them. It's still all to play for. So we just keep grinding them out, and we just get kind of get your shoulder back to the wheel, and, and we just kind of carry on. And I think it's I think people get fed up here, and I was saying we just take it one game at a time. But that was the mentality. Like we'd been involved with games too often, and been it too that we start looking ahead and thinking right here's a block of games if we can get 10 points or if we can get this. It was, you no, know, we go next week and we get three points. And when that game's out of the way, we go the next week and we get three points. And that's how you get the consistency and that's how you get the runs you go on. So although it was a hammer blow and at the time, you're still thinking, we've got good enough players, we're still a strong enough team that we can kind of continue on and, and uh, we'll win next week and we apply the pressure. And, and I think, I don't know if we'd start playing them twice, Celtic would start playing them twice that up until then or whatever it was, you're thinking... We've still, we can st- it's still almost. I think it was all. Well, it was always, um, almost always in our own hands, right up until kind of the, the last kind of couple of weeks, because we we could if we won all our games and we would still win the league. So it was yeah. Again, it was just a, a hard one to take. So we'll move into the 2016-17 campaign, uh, and maybe just if you can talk to us about the away fixture in Slovenia against Maribor specifically. How frustrating is it to play in a match like that where it's pretty obvious that the referee. Is just going to give uh, give you guys absolutely nothing. Yeah, horrendous. Again, they, they were a good European side who had some great results, and I think we went there and, and played well and, and were well in the game. I'm sure that was a game that Joe Lewis and goal that it yeah. we passed the back and bounced over his foot, and it was just like yeah. it just compounded the misery of we get nothing. I mean, even the pitch was was not playing well for us that night. So again, just it just added to that feeling of being in, in European football and just how big a mountain it is to climb to actually get to the group stages and, and go on and you know again we were going in European runs without ever actually getting to the group stages you know I mean, we, we would have played eight games at a good level before the season even started and we still weren't in the European group stages and again as you say went to that game played well and Mr. Penn Rooney put a pen it right down the middle keeper saved that and then as you say we get nothing um, did, did, did Big Jaden Stock get sent off as well yeah he did, yeah. Sent off uh, for, for two quote unquote fouls. For, for literally standing still. Um, yeah. And you're just thinking, like, we're getting nothing here. Just it won't break for us. And it's just, uh, you're just kind of thinking, how do we break into that? You just get over that final hurdle of, of kind of getting one in the game that gets you to the, the group stages. Domestically, um, progress in the League Cup is, is pretty swift. You're part of the side that beats Morton in the semi final at Hamda, but then you drop out of the team. In the lead up to the final against Celtic, and then you're an unused sub in the final. Was there any particular reason why you were kind of being left out of the side around that time? As I say, I mean, as, as I say, from, I always felt from that kind of from when I done my shoulder, that almost kind of became the first real kind of chink of I was almost kind of seen as we can kind of play without him. Whereas before that, there was never really an opportunity of a sustained period of success or not even success of just games without me. I was always there. I was always available. And I'd yeah. done my shoulder and I, I know I was in and, and kind of played a lot, but there was games I would drop out or kind of I get suspended for a game, and it was and then the next that next season, the kind of other players were coming in, and it was almost like oh, we'll just dip in and out. And then as I say, that kind of that kind of became the kind of pattern for the kind of remaining years of me being there, we'd been and out and, and start getting injured. So, and as I say, I always enjoyed playing at Hamden, always enjoyed the big games. So for me to sit in a and a final and, and not really take part was was a strange experience of just sitting and kind of wanted the boys to do well and win, but at the same time just thinking like I'm not really. And then again, I know as, as a sub and as part you're supposed to be part of it and willing the boys to do it, but on a personal level, you're just kind of sitting thinking if it goes either way here, it's 
I've not had any influence in the game, so I can't really. I, I mean, if I was celebrating, I, I wouldn't really be enjoying it. And when we're commiserating, I, I've not had a chance to go and stamp my thought on it like I would like to. In January, Ryan Christie comes in on loan from Celtic um, to replace James Madison, who had been recalled by Norwich City. Two very talented attacking players in different ways. Just uh, talk to us about the two of them and did you foresee the future they would both have in the game? Again, I've been on record saying Ryan Christie is the best player I've ever played with. Um, like That's how highly I rate him. I remember when he came to us from Celtic and I remember speaking to a few boys in change room and saying, and this was obviously kind of on the back of us chasing Celtic and how relentless they'd been and Ryan Christie not really playing that much with them. And I remember saying to the boys, they must be incredible if he's allowed to go out and loan because he was that good. He had everything. Like usually you get players who are kind of fancy players and pop about and silky and skillful and that and they've just not got that needle or that bite or that nastiness. He had that. Like he would leave it on people, he would stick the boot in, you know what I mean? He would react, he would he was nasty and again him going on and playing and doing well down in Bournemouth does not surprise me. And a player that could go and kick on again and I'm sure as, he, as he's doing well down there will attract interest from, from bigger and better teams. And again, the same with James Madison, probably different. He wasn't probably, for me, as complete as Ryan Christie, but was an absolute wizard with the ball at his feet. And you're just thinking like... But again, it was different because you, you, you had to remember that while he was young, Norwich had bought him for like three, four million. So what is yeah. it he'd, he'd been at Coventry and had been ridiculous. So what is it if he was a academy player that had come through and was doing well and had to go and prove himself and prove he could do it with men. He'd done it and was so confident, so sure of his own ability. And and again, when I speak, I always think when I speak about him, he sounds like he's a cocky wee idiot. Like you should know that you liked him and he was this, but he was brilliant. I got him great well. Like really nice boy, just so sure of his own ability, so confident. And again, he backed up. I will say, like any team I've been at I mean, since he was there, a lot of boys after training will go and do wee bits on their own. And lots of the, the, the wingers or strikers will do free kicks. James Madison used to do free kicks after training. And most boys, it's the best I've probably seen before James Madison would hit. Say they hit every 10 shots, they would maybe score three, four. James Madison would be nine or 10 every day. Top bag, reverse it, over the wall, bottom corner, put a goal in, like, and off the bar. Like, technically, was incredible. And then got to stage, again, we didn't really suit James Madison the way we wanted to play and, and the kind of the role we gave him. And it got to the stage where he was just playing and if he nutmegged people, he was happier than if we won the game. He'd just be running about like, playing for nutmegs and just talking about individual bits of brilliance. And again, he was a young guy, not like not playing where he wanted to play. Just, yeah. again, uh, similar to where I've been when I was younger, just enjoying playing, just loving, almost like that playground, just being happy and doing it. And then you knew the ability there. And I think maybe coming up to Aberdeen and seeing... The, the, the kind of pressures and playing in a team and, and seeing kind of what it meant and needing to do the other side of the game. And he's always been down to, to England and, and been unbelievable. And, and you see him ripping it up. And again, it, it's just, it, it kind of re, it's reassuring for boys I think up here when they see guys like, because if James Madison went down there and never done it, you'd be thinking how big is the gulf between Scottish football and English football that these guys, Van Dyke and that similar, who you come up against, you're thinking, he, I mean, he's in a different level. If he goes down there and is average or below average, then we're miles off it. And again, they both went down. I mean, Van Dijk's went down is probably one of the best centre-halves that they've had there for years. So it was great to play. But again, as we say, two guys who were unbelievable. And again, even Mathers, some of the goals he scored, I think obviously the one 
against Rangers, being that the kind of defining one of just the quality. But even when we were up to hit it, the, the, I think the confidence for the rest of the boys that we scored was through the roof because we'd watch them in training. And I say every day, like nine out of 10, eight out of 10, every day, it wasn't as if it was a, a fluke. Like he practiced it and it was bob on every time. I remember Gary wasn't there that day, but me and Graham were. Um, and we, you guys might have known, but we didn't know that that was, he had that <laughs> in his locker. And I remember like, it's like a last minute goal against Rangers and I'm leaving the ground and I'm listening to people around me saying, ah, we didn't press with them well enough today. It's like, football's changed. <laughs> but once again, um, progress in the Scottish Cup is great and we knock the holders Hibs out in the semi-final to put the Dons into their first Scottish Cup final in 17 years. Can you remember what the mood was like in the squad after that semi-final? You know, it's one where we get a real slice of fortune with Johnny Hayes winning goal, taking the deflection. Is there a real mood within the camp we can go on and win this win this cup? I think so. Similar to the kind of league cup, you kind of you the the trophies that you're going to win are the session football. There's usually kind of, as I say, crap games in between it and games that you're thinking we should never get through that. But they will say if your name's in the cup, your name can be on the cup, and and it's the games you need to get through. So. Again, you're looking around the change and looking at the boys and the experience and, and the, the kind of at a stage now where the boy the core of that squad had been there for a while. There was a good group, it was a good ethos and a good kind of environment that the boys that come in either bought in it and, and kind of got on with it or were just shunned and were quickly sent back out the door. So we I mean there was a, a, a great confidence among the squad that we could go on and win it. And again, that as we proved before, on our day that team could beat anybody. And, it, and again, I think in some teams and times you go into games, and certainly I've been in teams where you get into games, you're thinking, you know, we're at our best, we still need them to kind of be below par or have a wee bit of an off day. Whereas with that squad and that team, you're thinking if we hit the heights we can hit, even if they're at their best, we can still beat them. It's Brendan Rodgers' Celtic who are waiting in the final this time again. Um, they're on the cusp of an unbeaten treble season. It's probably fair to say from a bookie's perspective, we go in as, as massive underdogs at that point. Was there any kind of difference in approach between... Uh, the management's approach to the final between this one and the Cali final League Cup or was it kind of very similar? I think similar I think again I know that the, the, the performance wasn't great but the result also we we ended up winning it and uh, I think if again with Eric McInnes and, and Tony Docker they're very much creatures of a kind of habit and we done we kind of almost end up going the same pre-seasons all the time with the same kind of pre-match routines we went to the same hotels and it ended up invariably we used to go to St Andrews quite a bit for pre-season and we would go there kind of before big games and I'm pretty sure we've done that for the, the Scott that, that game as well. So it was all kind of very very similar. And again, just that eating into the fact of we're a good team, we've got good players, we're here for a reason and, and kind of highlighting that before the game. And it's a great start in that one. Uh, Johnny Hayes gets the goal from a, a pretty well rehearsed corner routine. Uh, Stuart Armstrong equalizes pretty swiftly after that. And then I guess for a lot of fans watching it's the turning points, 52 minutes, the the chance that Johnny and and well, I was going to say Johnny and Kenny fashion the Johnny fashions by I think it was is it James Forrest Steve Robs or Cal McGregor I can't remember the ball just falls behind Kenny when he's kind of got an open goal almost as a player on the pitch watching that situation happen in front of you is that a kind of real like deflating moment because you think that's the chance or is it just one where you have to kind of get your game head back on again and yeah that is a hammer blow because you know and we've been in this situation before was you're thinking we can graft and Celtic us what best and Celtic are best as I say we can beat them but there'll be moments in the game you'll get you'll carve moments out by luck design or good play but you'll get moments and if you don't take them they'll, they'll punt it they'll come back and bite you and I think that one you're thinking we needed to score there and when we didn't you're thinking that was that was probably our best chance of 
is going. And I think at that point, I think, you know, we're going to need the chances of another chance as good as that or getting an opening are, are going to be very slim. But again, in the same hand, you're kind of thinking we need to just kind of ride this out now and, and keep it tight and try and, again, try and turn the tide and, and, and create a chance like that or if we need to take it to, to injury time and penalties. Yeah, unfortunately, it's, you know, it, it's heartbreak um, when, uh, you know, concede pretty much right at, the, right at the end of the 90. Can you remember your immediate reaction to that just as the, you know, as the ball flies in? I think that was the sorest one to take. And I think we just made some changes to um, kind of go into extra time. Almost like we'd, we'd just brought in a couple of subs and we're just going to try to see it out and get them embedded into the game ready for the extra time. And I, I think that was, that was probably the sorest one to take of all the games. Because... Um, Again, it's a game we were well in. We were, we were competing and we, you know, probably our best chance of beating them. And again, we've had a Celtic team that, that went on to win every trophy domestically for the next like, three or four years. So, but again, that game, we were more than confident. And as I said, you can go into games and you can steal a victory or you can have a slice of luck or something. But we, we fought in that game. We competed. We were as good as they were and there wasn't much in it at all. And, and that just that one slice of good luck or that one opportunity that, that needed to be taken, they, they, they were the ones that take it and we don't. And that was, the, I think, yeah, that probably the hardest one to say of them all. What was said in the, you know, in the dressing room afterwards, you know, specifically that was a, it was a season of, so, so close, but so far, given that we were runners-up to Celtic in all three competitions. Yeah, again, there was nothing that really, I think, really needed to be said. It was just kind of... For that one, there's not even, again, I know I said the other game against Hibs, Craig Brown kind of went after uh, Jason Brown, that there was nothing. It wasn't as if it was mistakes or lack of effort or even caught in the headlights or not turning up. We'd kind of given everything. We gave ourselves a good chance. We created chances and we just kind of fallen short. It was just, I think, the silence kind of spoke volumes of just how kind of hard have they taken it. And uh, I don't really, I don't remember anything that was said at all after that. Just boy's been absolutely gutted um, with the result and just kind of, I have just getting ready and, and make their own way away. And, and that was, as you said, that was the last game of the, the kind of season. So everybody was just free to kind of go and, and uh, go their own way. So it was, no, it was, it was a hard one to take. Up to that point, um, Derek McInnes had done very well to kind of keep the the key players at the club. But it's that summer that sees the initial breakup of his first side. You know, Johnny Hayes moves to Celtic. Niall McGinn moves to South Korea. Ash Taylor heads south. Um, it emerges around the time of the cup final. Ryan Jack signed a pre-contract to go to Rangers. Adam Rooney is becoming less of a starting player. Would it be fair to say that the club struggled to really shake off the disappointment of that cup defeat and also just struggled to ever recover from losing those players? I, I, don't, I think at the time it never felt like that. Um, but I think looking back, you, you, I, I don't think you would be kind of wrong in saying that. Um, but again, we, we still had that. There was still enough players there and there was still enough there kind of... That, that I was think in a changing room, you need to get to a tipping point of having enough players that are buying into it and, and doing it the way you want to do it. If you don't have that tipping point, then you end up with boys kind of all over the place. You end up with boys playing for themselves. But we still had that enough for the change room that when you signed at Aberdeen, you either got involved and done what we were doing or you were kind of cast off to the side. So um, it was kind of a bit of, a bit of both, kind of probably on the fence a bit that, yeah, it was I think looking back, you kind of, it wasn't ending either. As you say, Johnny and Nile have been so influential. But I think it got to the stage where we lost so many of them at once almost. And, Everybody else is obviously getting older and, and getting more experienced. There was other guys coming in, and uh, yeah, just uh, probably it was from that point that we just kind of started to almost kind of change and 
that wasn't as we weren't as successful or as kind of exciting as we'd been. But again, we probably had for a couple of seasons at it and, and being successful and, and chasing the trophies and that and, and it had fallen short. And again, we're coming up against a Celtic side at the time that were relentless. You know what I mean? Even even for us being still being strong and being good and, and chasing after things, Celtic were just unrelenting and every on every front and uh, had a strong squad, had strong players, it had done what Celtic had done for years and cherry picked the best players from Scotland. And who were your nearest competitors? Aberdeen, who was one of their best players, Johnny Hayes, we'll take him. And we've strengthened ourselves and weakened our nearest rivals. So it was uh, I, 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 was a, I, kinda, it's, I think it's hard to kind of say it was this or that. I, was, I think it was a lot of things, but again, I, I think a big part of that was also that Celtic were just so strong and so dominant for, for the kind of years that we could have, you know I mean, if, if they didn't have such a stranglehold on it and we'd maybe won a couple of more trophies or, or pushed them closer, then we could have really kind of kicked on for another three or four seasons, but it's kind of, as it happened, it never transpired that way. So we'll move on to the... 2017-2018 campaign uh, you're still a mainstay of the side up until uh, a 3-0 defeat at Motherwell in the, the League Cup which sees you miss the next few games uh, before your appearances become a little bit more sporadic after that was there a mixture of injuries or do you think it was maybe a period of time where uh, the manager's manager was starting to see the potential in McKenna and you know sort of giving him a run in the, a run in the team to get some experience I think about both again as I say for me I always felt it was the turning point was when I ruptured my shoulder the year before um, and I just kind of it was almost as though they kind of realised actually we can, we've got other guys who can step in and out but again Scott McKenna came from nowhere it was kind of biding his time and, and learning his trade going out and loan and stuff and got a chance to go in and do well and, and was brilliant and kind of had that season that all young players have and, and done really well and again I, I got on great with Scott and he's still somebody that I'll, I'll hear from and speak to from time to time and he came out and take his chance and, and done great and, and that's kind of football and as you say it was it was almost the end of an era in terms of that start of that season we lost a few players and as you say there was other players coming in and it was uh, a few as were kind of obviously not again Rooney was a similar position he wasn't really playing as, as much as he wanted to so kind of Derek McInnes a lot of his stalls and the guys that he kind of got his early success with were kind of slowly getting their way out of the team and, and that's football is always a transition so for me it was there was always that feeling I think as I say, it started with my shoulder and then I think obviously when I missed out on the, the cup final the, the previous season as well, you're starting to think, you know, these were games that I, I was usually always in, like the big games, the games that are important, I always get put in. So you're kind of thinking that you're not as, as kind of as important or as much a mainstay as you would like. And I, I, as you say, it just kind of petered out from me from there. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a disappointing season all round, certainly in the cups especially, but the season does end on a high. It's a, a 1-0 win at Celtic Park ending Celtic's long unbeaten run and you come out of the starting lineup for this one and you get to witness Andy Considine scoring the winning goal and it ensures that Aberdeen finish second and even though Rangers maybe weren't in the greatest of shape at that point it's still a huge achievement to finish above a club like that with the with the budgets they had but this ends up being your your final competitive game for Aberdeen um during the preseason for the next campaign you suffered an injury in a preseason game at Cove uh, injury being so severe, you underwent surgery on your knee and that ruled you out for the rest of the calendar year. I mean, again, you've talked about it, but just how frustrating is it for you to be injured again? No, again, hugely. Um, I think, as you say, I'm obviously delighted to get back involved. And I think that the, the year before that, the only games I kind of played were, were Celtic and Rangers. I used to just sit on the bench and then the big games came. And I was always at the end of the kind of thought, no, I've always been able to rely on them, so I'll throw them back in. 
and always done well, played well, we'd get the odd result and I would find myself back out of the team. So that was hugely frustrating. And then again, even the last game of the season when we needed to win at Parkhead and put me back in again there as well and we get the results. So you're thinking it was kind of a weird situation. But as I say, I always felt as though my, my time was coming to an end. And, and I remember at that time I'd spoke to Derek over the summer about leaving and from wanting to leave and um, said, look, I, I was, and I've, ne I've never been a player that wants to sit still and, and just kind of sit on a bench and be a bit part player. And I spoke about leaving and he kind of said, no, look, I still need you here. And again, for me, and, and hopefully if you speak to any of the boys, one of my biggest qualities has always been in and around the changing room and, and I've always brought a lot in the changing room and, and kind of keeping boys together and keeping us all pulling in the one direction and, and stopping kind of kind of dissent amongst the changing room of boys kind of working for themselves of, of kind of building a changing room that, that's got good practices with good pros and kind of weeding out the boys that aren't pulling in the right direction. So I think Derek always recognised that and he always wanted me to be involved in that. But for me, it was just about playing and, and I couldn't really do one without the other. So I spoke to him about leaving and again, he'd said, look, I'd like to keep you that kind of back and forth. And then obviously rupture my cruciate at, um, at Cove wasn't ideal because I was in a situation where I was trying to leave. I was in the last year of my contract and I was now going about for nine to 12 months and only 12 months left of my deal. So yeah, it was again, a, a kind of hugely unsettling time. But again, it's just the mentality you've got as a footballer where you kind of just go on with it and you just always got to back yourself. And uh, it was lucky enough that the physios at Aberdeen were great. The, the surgeon I went to was, was was incredible and I, I kind of battled through rehab and got, managed to get back fit four months after I ruptured my cruciate, which I think is almost a world record. Um, <laughs> so there's kind of been nobody to get back as quick as that, um, which was a huge benefit to me. So I managed to go away the trip to Dubai, play the game and Dundee United obviously found out I was fit and, and they kind of asked to take me on loan and um, that was all, that was the end of my, my kind of time at Aberdeen. Uh, yeah, that's just what I was going to sort of ask. Obviously, once you got your, your fitness back, um, the loan move to Dundee United uh, came around and then you signed your, your pre-contract to join them on a three-year deal at the end of the campaign. Was it a bit of a wrench to leave the club without really getting a proper chance to sort of do that on the pitch? I, I, I think it wasn't, it wasn't. I mean, it's again, it's always it's always easier looking back on these things. And again, obviously, you don't think the last game was going to be the Celtic the kind of season before that. Um so I, I was just disappointed. But for me, it was always just focusing on what was next and, and trying to find a new challenge and somewhere where I could go and, and be influential on the pitch. So it was, I mean, Aberdeen was home. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously back playing at Cove and my two boys born and bred in Aberdeen and, and this is where we'll settle. Aberdeen's is home for us. So it was a huge decision because I always, I always saw myself staying at Aberdeen and, and hopefully playing out my days there and, and kind of being involved. But football's a, a strange game sometimes and um, it, it, it kind of works in funny ways. So, yeah, it was it was hard to leave, but football had always been the motivating factor for me and, and to go and play and, and go to a club like Dundee United who were kind of really struggling at the time. And I've said before, we're in a similar situation, not as dire or more dire than Aberdeen, but Aberdeen obviously languished in the bottom six and re really needed an injection. Dundee United couldn't go to the championship and needed kind of a bit of direction from within and, and I felt as I could go and, and do that. So it made that decision a, a wee bit easier as well. Yeah, so it meant you left Aberdeen, Mark, having made uh, 237 appearances, scoring seven goals in red, places your 63rd on the all-time AFC appearance list, tied with AFC Hall of Famer Peter Weir, of course. Respectful enough. There you go. It's not too bad, not too shabby at all. Um, you just touched on it there. You ended up captaining uh, United back to the top flight as championship winners during the 1920 season. Before making the decision uh, in January this year to move on from, from Tanner Dyson, uh, you've now signed up at 
Cove Rangers a debut coming in the recent Scottish Cup defeat at Easter Road, having to marshal another Anderson through a period on the pitch as well. What was it about the, the what was it about Cove that attracted you to to move there? Again, as I've said, my, my whole career it's always been about kind of going places and, and challenging myself, um, going prove myself and, and trying being successful. And obviously that was the plan at Sheffield Wednesday, which was obviously cut short by again kind of things that were almost out with my control in terms of the manager moving and, and then bringing a manager in that, that w- it was almost impossible to work with. Um, but in, in terms of going to Aberdeen, it was going to a club who wanted to be successful and, and go and try and win trophies and, and compete, at, at ultimately trying to win the league or, or at least be in European football every season. Um, moving to Dundee United, the motivation was to get them promoted and win the championship and get them back and established in the Premiership. And it's the same as Cove. It's a team that they're pushing and wanting to get promotion and wanting to kick on and sustain themselves in the championship. And, and you look at our growth now, pushing to be in the Premiership and, and there's no reason why you can't go and, and have a pop at it and, and we're a, a decent season and, and a run of right results and good, good players round about you, you can you can we can go and do that. So I think uh, hopefully I'm correct, but you'll you'll correct me if I'm not, that you completed a degree in mechanical and offshore engineering in 2019. So long term is that where you see your your future? Um or would you still like to try and stay in the game once it's uh, you know once it's time to hang up the boots? Again, I'm still I still fight myself this kind of most days. Um, I, again, I love football. My driving force in football has always been playing and on a Saturday. Um, but again, I've done the degree in engineering because again, I've always enjoyed that aspect, that kind of academic side of things as well. And and there's always been a lure of, of going and challenging myself in a completely different industry. So I don't know um, as the as the answer to that. I think obviously just now I'm I'm kind of playing part time and looking to go into engineering but I think I'll still have enough of a foot in football that if it's not a fit for me or if the right opportunity to come up then I, then I could potentially step back in it but I think just now in terms of the football side in terms of managing or that there's just no certainty in it it's, it's just so kind of there's the uncertainty you, you look at managers that have come in I think Aberdeen and now are a perfect example that there's kind of you need immediate success and you need all these things to fall into place for you and, and if that doesn't happen then you could be out a job six months, 12 months. And again, you look at St. Johnston, Callum Davison's went and won double last season and is now under severe pressure for losing his job. And for me, I think that's just, there's just too much uncertainty. There's just too many things that, that I can't control and that are out with my control. So I would rather go and, and try and use the, the skills and the, the attributes that I've learned over a career in football and, and try and transfer them into, as I say, a completely different industry. On the point of Aberdeen uh, currently, What's your take on the situation? Uh, look as maybe perhaps a an outsider looking in these days. I don't, I, again, obviously it's hard for me as somebody who's played, and I think it's Aberdeen's always an easier team to talk about when you're not playing than than when you're playing. But um, as, as I say, I don't I don't know. Again, for me, my my strengths were always in creating a, a changing room and an environment and um, a team spirit and boys that wanted to be there and, and boys that understood what it meant to play for Aberdeen. And I don't know, I just, I just don't get the feeling as though that's the case now. And again, that's my that's my opinion from very far away. Um, but again, just, I don't know Stephen Glass. I've never played with Scott Brown. I don't know his assistant. Um, but again, they just don't seem to have a way of playing football just now. We don't really have a style. Kind of don't have a settled team. It's just kind of a bit everywhere. And I said before, maybe the biggest point is we, when we were we were successful, Aberdeen, we signed 
specific players. We knew what we were getting for them and we were signed for specific positions to do a specific job. And the feeling I get, again, my opinion, which is worth as much or as little as you want to take from it, we're just signing good players who look good for reasons that they're good at this, that or the other. He's a good player. He's but Yeah, but how does that fit into Aberdeen's picture? How does that fit into how we want to play? How is he going to fit in with the players we've got? It's almost like we'll just get loads of good players together and we'll just throw them in and, and they'll win. And again, I don't think you can do that in Scottish football. Mark, we'll wrap things up. We have taken way too much of your time and we appreciate it so no much. Uh, we wish you and Cove all the very best for the remainder of the campaign, even if they do play in blue and are called Rangers. Uh, we'll finish things up by asking the same question we ask all of our guests on this show. Mark Reynolds, what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Again, I think it's something where I kind of obviously, I left home and found a kind of new home. Um, I'd never expected to come to Aberdeen and, and call it home and be a place that I would want to settle and a place that I would want to raise a family. So I was always a Motherwell boy growing up, born and bred. Motherwell was a team I supported. And I think for anybody, it would take a lot to change your allegiances and, and go and watch a team that you want to be successful every week. And I think Aberdeen's probably done that. I think both my kids are Aberdeen fans now. This is a city we call home. So I think, yeah, it's, it means a lot. It means uh, more than I thought it would when I first came here. Um, and again, it's somewhere where I see myself spending kind of the rest of my days. And, and as I say, hopefully there'll, there'll be something that I can hopefully give back again to Aberdeen at the football club and, and be involved in some way and, and get them back on the right track. I thought it was brilliant, Mark, that you actually referred to us as we there. That's all I'm going to say a minute ago in your answer. Um, Mark, top man, thank you for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast. Stand free. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 34, where we'll review the SPFL doubleheader against Hearts and Rangers. We'll have our usual look at our loanies and loan watch. We'll see how the women's team got on in their fixtures against Glasgow City and Celtic. And we turn our attention to the visit of Hibs to Pitaudry. And we've got an exclusive interview for you next week as well. One with, well, quite fitting actually, as the Aberdeen ladies play Glasgow City on Wednesday night. We're joined by the chief executive of Glasgow City and Dons fan, Laura Montgomery, to talk about her footballing career, her love of the Dons, and the development of Glasgow City and the women's game in Scotland. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Goodfield Coffee. Goodfield Coffee is the only place that you can get your hands on fantastic specialty coffee and support some great causes at the same time. Goodfield Coffee aim to raise awareness of the importance of having a good feel, checking yourself for testicular cancer and breast cancer, whilst also checking in on your friends and family's mental health by asking, how have you been? All of the Goodfield coffees are single origin from the very best coffee producing regions in the world and your purchases will help raise funds for Mind, the Oddballs Foundation and Copperfield. Order online at goodfieldcoffee.com or check them out over on your usual social media channels at Goodfield Coffee.